As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's up, party people, and welcome to Countdown to Classic. This is a podcast that educates, informs, and gossips about the highly anticipated World of Warcraft Classic. Each week, we discuss the news, hot-button issues, and content of the upcoming Classic servers. I'm your host, Josh Corbett, and this is a show where it's not my opinion on World of Warcraft that counts, but yours. If you're new to the show, Countdown to Classic goes through your expert input on everything relating to the upcoming release of World of Warcraft Classic. Today, we've got a bunch of newsworthy issues that has those involved in the beta buzzing as we talk. Melee leeway, the AV weekend, the race to 15 on the third stress test, more talk on layering, and then we finish with vanilla WoW dungeon designer John Stats coming back to talk about the making of Scholomance. So you all know the drill by now. This is a community-based podcast, so if you like what you're hearing, please join the Discord now and keep the conversations going with us all over there. Follow me on Twitter at Count2Classic with the number 2. Email me at feedback at countdowntoclassic.com and please do be sure to tell a friend about the show. And don't forget you can always PM me a voicemail for the show via Discord. Everything you'll need is in the show notes for each episode along with the show's Patreon link if you'd really like to help keep the show going. Or if subscriptions aren't your thing, then you can help keep the lights on at Countdown by checking out the show's tip jar over at Ko-Fi. There's also the show's merch store with some great designs over there for t 
t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, etc. So please do check that link as well. Just before we start, a quick shout out for listener Frags, who's desperately trying to track down an old in-game friend. He says their name is Sarsa, S-A-R-S-A, and they know him by the name of Birdsley. He's trying to get in touch with a few old friends on the Draenor EU server and anyone who is in the guild Spirit of Dawnsong on Draenor EU. So if you're listening, please reach out to Frags, that's F-R-A-G-Z, on the Countdown to Classic Discord. I hope something comes through for you there, Frags. But with all of that out of the way, let's get into it with Calling Countdown. All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call, and I've got two of my favorites on the line talking about what has become a relatively important topic. Actually, you know what? Scratch the relatively. It's become an important topic flat out. Now, look, guys, I wanted to talk about this a couple of weeks ago, but with all the bugs that have been popping up in the beta, as you guys have heard me say on the show before, it's kind of like, well... Blizzard has been ironing them out for the most part. They've been addressing them. You know, that's what betas are for. We tell them what the problem is. They work on fixing it. And they've been doing a reasonably good job so far. However, there are some big ones out there that haven't been addressed yet. And I thought, oh, I won't talk about it because they'll fix it. And here's one that they haven't fixed yet that people are growing more and more concerned about. And that is Malay. Sorry, I I should say I was contacted by a listener lovingly this week saying, guys, so many people on the show say the word wrong. Malay. Exactly right. Malay leeway. Let's talk about it. And I've got Ale here once again. Legend, how are you? Uh, doing fantastic. And I mean, I can't state ale is always there to answer the call and there's someone else that's always there to answer the call as well and i can't state how much i absolutely love this person like a son north mate how are you it's wonderful to be back man always a pleasure to be on a call with you it's so good to have you here and it's so um it's it's great timing as well because uh i've been watching a bit of you doing your own podcast as well the magus cast which seems to be focused on everything and anything majors so why don't you tell people about that real quick uh yeah it's uh we just started two weeks ago it's a weekly podcast for now until classic drops when we have to you know hunker down and might become a once a month you know maybe twice a month kind of thing uh while the while i'm playing 16 hours a day but it like you said focuses on all things mage we do have cargos on as a warlock just so we can remind the good people of azeroth that warlocks <laughs> are feces consuming degenerates um but yeah we we, we go over right anything to you know the you know community college type dollar on shit that new mages would need to know to you know more advanced pvp tactics gearing you know anything that would be made realistically or really that pertains to all pvp in general we are discussing it's been a lot of fun i tuned in the other day live right when you were getting into the thick of laying it on cargoes about warlocks basically being shit eaters and it made me laugh and then it's a funny story north and you'll hate me for this but i went home basically that night and I wanted to figure out whether I was rolling a hunter or a warlock as my alt. And I thought, fuck it, I'll roll one quickly now on the beta and I'm just going to make my mind up in the next two hours. 
and I decided to roll a warlock for my main alt. So, so for my main alt, for my, for my number one alt, I should say. I know. I'm so sorry to do it to you. I feel <gasps> I, I, I've got a, I've got a big bowl of shit right here to eat as I say that. So I know it, it pains you. I hope I hope you enjoy that wonderful steaming bowl of, of dog shit. <laughs> anyway, oh, shadow be, shadow priest and warlock. I don't think it can get worse for a man. I know. It's I just... don't. I don't mind shadow priest. I don't mind shadow priest because shadow priest, right? Like, there's some. There's not a lot of thought involved. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna sit here and try and slob the knob of pressing like three spells in a rotation um, to kill mages, right? But there's, you know, like you have to decide whether or not you're gonna spell things. You have the choice to leave shadow form if you're shadow form. If you're tri spec, it's actually a really involved spec in terms of you know offense and defense and, and really your choices. I think priest is one of the hardest classes and one of the best classes in the game when played optimally, even in a more shadow-focused spec, which is what the tri-spec is focused on. Warlock, however, is fucking terrible. <laughs> I hate it. It's awful. Shit-eating troglodyte. That- yeah. We'll we'll have to do a, a call sort of just focused on you and your hatred for warlocks one day. But anyway, guys, let's get into it. Let's talk about this very important topic of melee leeway. And as I said, it's come up in the last few weeks. People are worried why don't we just obviously, first of all, for everyone out there, if anyone's hearing this for the first term, let's define it. Now, I understand it to be basically that it extends, you, know, you guys can explain it much better than me, but it extends the range within which you can hit people with a melee melee attack, um, and it's done so by basically movement or strafing. So, North, I'll throw it to you first to kick us off, mate. Tell us if you want to extend upon that a little bit. Tell people exactly what melee leeway is and what your understanding is of what it was and what it is now. So my understanding of this mechanic, um, and I have a very particular one, so I'm often correcting people lately because I've done a lot of research here. I don't think it's accurate to call this leeway because while it could be like there are similar mechanics in Warcraft that have sort of been called leeway, there was melee leeway in vanilla. This mechanic is not that mechanic. It is a similar one, but it's not the same one. So people often are saying, hey, you know, there was melee. Like, that's the argument I see the most on Twitch, on YouTube, on Reddit, when I see this brought up. And it's, oh, there was melee leeway in vanilla. And people are right. There was. And the way that I can see that that function is when someone walks into someone's base melee range, and then walks out before a hit goes off, that hit has a little leeway to go off if it would have gone off while they're within 2.66 yards as they're exiting that base melee range. But it would never actually increase the melee range. So you see first hits against casters as they walk in, or rogues as they walk into a caster, or even warriors as they walk in to hit anyone. You never see movement from two parties causing an increase in attack or melee range. You only see it as that person is leaving the melee range. And so what we have here, the thing that most people are calling leeway, what I call the cataclysm era based movement attack range increase. It's a really, it's a really long and fucking convoluted. (laughs) That'd be a great acronym. I call it that. I call it that because I I don't think it's leeway um, based on what I've seen and what it, what it, it describes what it is, right? When two people are moving in any way that is not backpedaling or RP walking, uh, so even if they're jumping as well. So if you're jumping, strafing, moving forward, it does not cause you to, or sorry, it, it, if both players have one of those, you know, one of those active, right? Jumping, moving forward or strafing, they get a 2.66 yard increase on their melee. 
And part of the reason why I don't think that this is leeway is because you can see leeway function on top of it. And so if someone is then in that increased range, right, that 2.66 when both are moving, if they then exit that as a swing was about to go off, you have this ridiculous range that people see in clips on, you know, on Twitch, on YouTube that people post to Reddit, where people are, appear to be hit from 10, 12, 13 yards away. It's because they're walking out in the middle and also some lag can factor in as well. But you get this combination. It's not just one part, right, going wrong. It's not, oh, they just accidentally put in like 15 extra yards. It's a bunch of things working together. But this thing that we have is, is very oh, much quick, a concise and no BS. Oops, sorry about that. Did you guys hear that? Uh, yeah, bit. was that was that perp split video? That yeah, sorry, I was just gonna say you might have heard a little bit of noise kicking because I was just trying to queue up to to talk piggyback off of what you're saying. North is there's a great video out there by Perplexity about it. It's yep. a, a really quick, short, sharp, to the fucking point, amazing example of it. You guys saw that? Yep. Yes. Two videos. And I, actually, I PM'd him. I PM'd him afterwards, and I said, "Great video. I don't think this is leeway, and I don't think you should call it leeway because it it it." I don't think that that it is this and and you there's a reason why you've never seen it and why you've never heard of it and and why we can't see it in videos if you look at videos from vanilla through wrath of the lich king you never see this kind of behavior with attacks you cannot find it sometimes you can see something that looks like it when it's a little bit of like lag or desync but you never see this kind of thing consistently until cataclysm all right. Now, Ale, having heard everything that, that North just said in his fantastic opening salvo there, just to, to lightly throw you under the bus, Ale, I contacted you about this call and said, hey, mate, I'm about to talk to North about Melee Leeway. Would you be interested? And what do you know, if anything, about Melee Leeway? And you wrote back to me and you said everything. <laughs> and I said, that's fucking great. So i sorry to make you blush or we'll put you on the spot now, but is there anything that you heard there in North's opening statement that you think you might disagree with or you think he's quite apt tell us what you know about the mechanic well there's it's not just melee leeway like i want to add on to this like and i know north is very much aware of this as well but there's also an aoe leeway and a snare leeway as well but you said you prefer not to have it called leeway uh would that be what's what's snare leeway it's when educate me Okay, it's when your target is snared below 30%, they'll have a like a walking animation and they won't have that benefit of the increased attack range. Yes, and so that's that's from the that is the attack range change. Then you can see that as well in um you can see that in Cataclysm. They can get the auto attack, but they can't get abilities off. If they're slowed 30% or more, which is every mage slow. They cannot use something like, for instance, Sinister Strike, but they can melee you from the increased attack range. But AoE leeway, I agree, is actually leeway because it's actually in vanilla and it was intended to be a leeway mechanic. It's not a, you know, it's not a attack change like the Cataclysm one was. The combination of, you know, what people are calling leeway as well as the, like, the lack of an AoE leeway and the snare leeway has made just how these are working together in the beta has made it feel very kind of alien to people. All right. So let me ask this, and this might be a simple answer because I feel like people are still posting on the subreddit and the forums, this particular argument. Some people still say, Hey guys, working is intended. This is exactly how it was in vanilla. So let's settle this argument in the minds of you two. Can we answer that question to any kind of finality now in the opinions of you two? Is this like vanilla or is it drastically different? 
Well, I know for me, the, the biggest thing that I noticed that, that's different is the like the, the snare leeway because it prevents uh, being able to kite. And so in vanilla originally is a mage. Uh, if anyone's seen like the fax monkey videos or things like that, you know, his his whole mantra was like, if you can, uh, fuck, I forgot I messed up. It's like, if you can snare it, you can kill it if kind of thing. If you can kill it, you can kill it. If you can chill it, you can kill it, right? And I so if you if you watch his videos, he actually gets like incredibly close to the to the things he's kiting. He doesn't actually get meleeed or anything. So I, I believe based on that, that the beta isn't working properly. And that's the thing that I noticed is the biggest change, where if you snare your target, they're able to melee you from, you know, full range still. That may be due, it, it's tough to tell because that may be due to, you know, the, the mechanic that North is talking about, the like cataclysm-induced increased range. Or it may be due to them not actually having the snare uh, properly implemented. I think it's both. So no, it doesn't. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. So it is. It is unequivocally. Let me answer it for anyone who has who has any shred of doubt. It is unequivocally, without a shred of fucking chance, not a drop of ocean in drop of water in the ocean, suggests that this is actually true. Right, like this is actually Blizz like, and, and, and people, people keep, like I said before, people keep hearkening back to, ah, yes, yes, there was leeway in Vanilla, yes, there was, but as Ale says, I'm not 100 percent sure on this one, but I think that it was it was removed by any 30 percent kind of snare, so I think that the leeway mechanic where if you dip into range and then you go outside of range to prevent someone from dancing just outside the melee range, if you actually dip in and dip out, it doesn't allow you to avoid a melee attack there, so long as you're within 2.66 yards. But this melee attack increase shit, you can easily see in any video that it's not actually supposed to be true. Look at Vertany 1. The only example there of a really long auto attack increase is when there's a warrior that's obviously lagging, like like like, like lagging in, in in ways that words cannot describe. Because as you see on the beta, and people say oh, it's correct, if someone's actually slowed, they can't use abilities from a certain yard away, right? They can't they can, they don't get the extended range if they're slowed on abilities. That warrior can still use abilities. And of every mage video I've seen, that's the only example where it even looks remotely close, and it's obviously motivated by lag. And then you look at videos from a rogue's perspective, where when a mage is slowing them, and even when the mage isn't slowing them, they never have auto attack that increases in range as the mage starts to walk away from them, because it's a typical situation. The mage will start to walk away from a rogue when the rogue is getting close to the mage. It's easy to see. There's a ton of 1v1 footage from vanilla. It's not there, and it's not in TBC, and it's not in Wrath of the Lich King. And once you look at Cataclysm Arena changes, even pre-patch Cata from Wrath, it's easy to see that people start start this weird backpedaling meta that we now have on the beta where you have to game the leeway, or quote-unquote leeway. You have to game the attack range increase by backpedaling where you wouldn't before. There's a reason why backpedaling wasn't in the game or used at all in like hardcore players in vanilla or TBC or right, Wrath of Lich King. It was never actually used. And that's because there was no point in doing it. But with this attack range stuff, from Cataclysm on, there, there was a point to actually backpedal. That's why you see it in arenas afterwards. Mate, you are killing it. I haven't seen you this passionate about something since we last spoke about vintage pornography. <laughs> it fucks mage. It fucks <laughs> mage so, so hard. apparent on mage. And I, th- I think that's the biggest thing because like mages have a root, they have a snare, they have AOE snares. So playing as a mage, going from, you know, whatever your experience was before, whether it be classic or something else, to this, it's like fucking horrible right 
and that like the, the, there are so many things that conspire and so when i first actually got on the beta i was i was so happy to get on the beta and then i first encountered this issue when i was trying to aoe farm at level 14 <clears throat> which involves a lot of kiting mobs it, 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 it's a stupid it, it is a very niche strategy a niche strategy anyway i noticed that the mobs were hitting me from what seemed like right like two three times the the distance away that they normally could which obviously in a strat where you just run around with frost armor kiting mobs is a pretty fucking big deal and so i i, I chain died for 10 hours and and, and i was just sitting there you know, reflecting thinking okay it's got to be it's got to be that i'm used to private servers it's got to be that my mind is not right it's got to be that i'm used to it's got to be the batching it's got to be something because there are such major differences and people use these to dismiss the right the notions of people who have played on private services oh you know it's just you you're, you're thinking about the private service they're such a far recreation uh, you know they 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 you know they don't even scratch the surface of what the classic beta does and in a lot of terms scripting uh you know stats on mobs i guess right uh, having it be beautiful and clean and 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 stable they're right but in terms of actual mechanics here you lack aoe leeway that's working correctly you have this extended attack range you have leeway for melee that doesn't appear to be altered by snares and so it makes it conspires to make mage feel really weird because you have an increase on the one hand of, of a melee attack range essentially by double and then you have a decrease of mage spells by about 20%. Every AoE spell, this base range is decreased by 20% currently on the beta because of how AoE leeway is not functioning. It could be as much as 25%, but we'll just go with the low ball 20%. And so you have this area where mage used to be about controlling and manipulating the people around you, using your slows and your snares to really craft, live on the razor's edge, you're squishy, but you can, you can control what damage is coming into you with your wards and with your CC and with your shields. And and now I feel like I feel like a ham-fisted barbarian mashing cone of cold as I stand on top of people because the hitbox is wrong, because the leeway is wrong, because their attack ranges are wrong, and because and then so I have to just you know run in and just pray and and, and backpedal out and pray that the the torrent can't execute me from eighteen yards away. Mm. Now I'm yeah. so glad. Sorry, go for it, Al. I just wanted to mention. I'm so glad you mentioned cone of cold because once we're done on that, I want to quickly touch on the issues with cone of cold as well. But Al, go for it. Yeah, I just want to invite anybody to watch uh, Fax Monkey's old video and just see how he maneuvers within that space uh, when he's kiting mobs to see what the difference is. I'm actually working on a, on a video in the beta, like a side-by-side -side comparison of, you know, chilling a mob and snaring it and then running in the same distance and manner that he does. And w my initial tests have been like night and day. Like he's able to slide past them in a much smaller range than than I'm able to. So I'm currently working on something for that that I'll, uh, I'm going to want to try to draw as much attention to as possible because this needs to be uh, you know, brought to their eyes. As soon a, as point, a point worth mentioning, and I'm not sure where it actually is in terms of the patch notes, but a point worth mentioning is that it says, and I'm not sure if this applies to tags, but the 1.3 patch notes from World of Warcraft that mention AoE leeway says the following spells and pvp now have a slight ra increase in range and area effect when targets are moving this should improve the overall usability of spells and ranged attacks I i'm pretty sure that's how it applies to right pvp and based on how we understand aoe leeway that's not even accurate it's not even just in pvp it's for every spell against every mob but it could reasonably be and i haven't seen r any real evidence to the contrary that there should be different right, right that there are different ranges and that actual leeway, not this attack range again, but actual leeway is only added in PvP, right? That could be true. So I agree, like the mobs, it is so, so night and day to see. And the mobs are obviously, without a shred of a doubt, so far from correct that it's 
it actually baffles me that anyone would ever try and so- like be on the side of oh this is just you know this is the way that it was when it so obviously is you know around double if not more the distance that you typically have for these mobs i have so many clips on my twitch channel where people are like why are you backpedaling and then i show them how far away a mob can hit me if i'm not but i'm not sure if that's oh, like if, if it's only the mobs or if like the mobs aren't supposed to get leeway and then no one's supposed to get the attack range increase or if right both are supposed to get leeway i'm, I'm not really sure how it is on that and i haven't really heard anyone definitively come in either camp and and see and I, I think that's where the issue lies is i think there's actually multiple things wrong with it so it's really hard for people to nail down exactly what happens because you know when there's multiple issues laying over each other it causes a lot of misinformation and issue mm. and you can actually see and i think a great example of how this is sort of uh explicable and a lot of people ask me, oh, well, how do you know? How do you know that, that, that this is an attack range increase and this is the way leeway was? You can test it. So if someone's stationary, if someone is stationary and you walk towards them and then you walk away from them after you get into their melee range, they can swing on you, even though you're outside of the melee range when it actually goes off. And that could be a batching thing, right? And I assume that that's kind of a batching thing and that, that leeway and batching sort of work hand in hand. The spell doesn't quite register. And so it says, hey, you know, even though you're out of range, when this attack is going off, we're going to allow it to go off because you're within 2.66 yards. You can see that very easily. If you do the same thing against a stationary target and you walk in to melee range and then you begin to walk out, but instead of walking out, you blink through them, the attack does not go off, which means that there is an actual limitation in terms of range. There's a range-based limitation that when a swing is about to begin and you blink, it will not register. But if you walk out and you are out of their melee range, like very definitively out of their melee range, it will go off. And that, to me, and based on what I've done the research on, that is leeway. Mm. Now, guys, is there any other, I mean, thinking of the obvious, and we've talked about, obviously, North, you're quite passionate about the changes this would uh, make with mages and how you control a fight and particularly, you know, dealing with warriors or whatnot. But are there other people that this is significantly um, something that might change the way in which you approach your PvP or what have you, whether it be a pro or a con. I mean, I automatically sort of think of hunters as well. Does this eliminate the dead zone? Um, you know, do you guys have any other thoughts on other classes that might have their interest perked up by this particular issue? Well, currently, it's- how it stands, all melee have like a really large hit range. And referencing that video uh, that you brought up early, earlier, the perplexity video, the melee range is huge. And for Torin, it's even larger. Oh, it was like 10 yards. It's crazy. You can you can barely hit. Um, so the hitbox doesn't actually increase from what, what I've seen. So like you can't actually hit them from further away. On Someone said that. I'm not sure if that's true, but you apparently you can't hit Torin from farther away uh, with an arcane explosion. But they can melee you from further away. So, I mean, it mm. does make it very challenging as a mm. mage to uh, dead zone hunter properly. Mm. And it does effectively eliminate the dead zone range for how mages traditionally used it in um vanilla and on private servers so Mm. because of the increase in the melee range if you are moving when you follow them and that's typically what you try to do you move to try and stay in them in in their range now the only thing you can do you have to backpedal to stay in their range or just stay stationary and start spamming a spell because then you don't your lack of movement doesn't allow them to have their increased melee range on you so you can still dead zone them but it's, it's just a little bit different and just a little counterintuitive in my mind, because Mage really is the mobile, it's the mobility caster. And now in so many ways, you're forced to stay stationary, like put yourself in the ground to game a mechanic that should not be there. 
I really do recommend people go and watch that video by Perplexity because, as Ale mentioned, like he shows off the distance pretty clearly, and even he makes a joke about it, going like, you know, it's like you're hitting from, you know, the other side of the world or something. But it is actually laughable. Like I was comically laughing at the ridiculous distance between this Tauren and its target. That, as Perplexity notes, really does seem to be ten to eleven yards. It's bizarre to see. But anyway, guy. Anyway, guys. Let's hope it gets addressed. Let's hope that Blizzard is obviously working feverishly away on trying to get this sorted out. But as I mentioned, one quick thing I also have uh, been hoping to talk about on the show, and some of the listeners have hit me up about, and while I've got you north, you know, obviously you being the uh, the mage extraordinaire, and Ale's got a shitload of time with mages as well. Both of you are pros with the class. Let's talk about Cone of Cold, or as I affectionately term it, Cock. Now, North, let's say you throw down a cone of cold in the beta. People have been saying it's off because of differences in height between you and your target. Is that right? Yes, correct. Completely correct. But it's it's to the point where it's when it even when it's a minuscule difference in height, it doesn't look like it can hit. Like right, like it, you'll be on top of the target and they will be so slightly up a hill that every other AOE would hit, right? Nova would hit it. Um Nova would hit it, Arcane Explosion would hit it, Blast Wave would hit it. I tested all these abilities. All of them worked fine on hills, except for Cone of Cold. That, you know, doesn't feel like a cone. It feels more like a laser that extends immediately in front of your, right in front of your sternum for about three yards, and then sometimes has jagged edges and sometimes does not. Uh, I played a lot of Mage over AV Weekend, and I couldn't hit anybody with my cock. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. It, but in the same, in the same, same thing that um, North has been saying. But I, I wonder if maybe the uh, the strafe issue that still hasn't been fixed comes into play as well. And that's where if you have something targeted, you don't. When you strafe, you don't strafe at an angle. You just run sideways. But even even, wonder- even when that's even when that's not an issue, like I I have felt my cock to be just like it's not it's not quite where it was. You know, it's not it's not. It's not a full mast where it needs to be. It's just, it, it, you know, it kind of, it falls, it falls flat way more than it should. Yeah, it feels it never different. goes out in front. <laughs> oh, very good. All right. Well, look again, hopefully that's another one that Blizzard addresses and, and people are pretty universal on that one going, look, this is not working as intended. So majors, Blizzard, please get on it. Look, guys, thanks so much for coming on and discussing these issues. And, and enough time has passed in the beta where I think they absolutely have to be addressed. And hopefully, um, you know, these kinds of discussions are what prompts Blizzard to uh, get on that ASAP. Now, look, Ale, as always, mate, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We're about to jump in on our um, uh, Scholar Man's chat as well. So you're doubling up today. Thanks for having me. And North, mate. Give a huge plug again. Actually, you know what? I'm going to help you out here. Everybody, as you've just heard on this call, if it wasn't bleedingly fucking obvious, North knows his shit. It is very refreshing, I can assure you, for many of you to have a podcast come along where, unlike this one, the host really fucking knows what he's talking about and North knows his stuff about majors and happily discusses it on Magus Cast. So, North, tell the good people again where and when they can find you. Sundays, um, we haven't nailed down a time quite yet. This next one is going to be at 1 p.m. EST. We might stick to that time. We want it to be Euro-friendly, but you are far, far too kind. I hope I can live up to those wonderful words. Uh, thanks so much for having me, man. It's always a wonderful time. I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to scream and yell about <laughs> the, mages cur- the issues currently facing Mage and the beta. 
And you can find that on uh, my YouTube. If you go to YouTube uh, for past ones at just North the Mage, uh, but it'll be airing live on Sundays on my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash North the Mage. All right, emergency edit. Ale, I have just checked back in with you after a few hours after our last call and you've got something interesting to add. What did you find out with Locked while you guys were testing away? First, I found out he shit at duels. He's out of practice. <laughs> I beat him down. Hey, hard. I won the first one, mate. I won the first one. <laughs> no, we actually came up with a what we think is a pretty definitive test uh, for leeway. Uh, he, his scattershot range is 21 yards. So he goes out to max scattershot range. My shock range is only 20 yards, so I can't shock him at max range. Uh, we discovered that leeway is actually implemented for spells as well. So for both moving, the range of spells increases by each of us one yard. So I'm actually able to shock him when he's out of shock range. Hmm. Only if we're moving. Yeah. Obviously uh, only for instance as well if you're moving while casting. Yes, of, of course. And, you know, I, I used shock to test. I do have some clips I'll post. So that was the first thing is that we discovered that it works for spells. I wasn't sure if people knew that or not, but that's a revelation. And the second one is, is that I'd said earlier that uh, the leeway while snared is not implemented. And what that means is if your target is snared below, sorry, above 30%, it removes the leeway benefit. So that increased range is removed if you snare your target. And this allows you to like slow people in PvP, uh, slow mobs in PvE, basically run away from stuff to prevent them from hitting you. Um, Locke snared me, went out to max range, we did the test again, and I couldn't hit him. So that seems to be implemented now. Very interesting. Now, Locke, can you confirm that you are the world's worst duelist, even though I lost to you? <laughs> Um, I can indeed confirm that you are the world's worst stewards, Josh. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Lock, just real quick off of what Al said, any revelations or surprises from you from seeing what you guys did? Uh, no real revelations for me, mostly because I'm a range class, so it doesn't um, affect me too much other than when I'm trying to run the hell away. Uh, I did learn that backpedaling uh, is actually the right solution, though, which is kind of weird to say. Because uh, the melee leeway doesn't seem to apply if you backpedal away from a situation. Ah, there you go, everyone. Keep that backpedal key bound for now. <laughs> so there you go. All right, guys. Thanks so much for adding that in. I really appreciate it. No worries. No problem. This week on my other podcast, The Cinephiles, we cover 1991's Silence of the Lambs. But wouldn't the direction be, hey, <laughs> nobody go near his face? As just, opposed to boxing, yeah, him but up like, like Con Air, he might be a spitter or a shitter. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he can still spit through the fucking mask. No way! No, you, can't hey, be, you can't you even could, pucker. You <laughs> could hock a magic loogie through that bad Look, boy. Look now, don't ask how I know, but you can't. <laughs> it's not a sex thing, but don't ask how I know. If you'd like to hear more from the Cinephiles, then please do log on to cinephiles.com. That's S-I-N-N-E-R-F-I-L-E-S. Or search for the Cinephiles on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. But now, let's get back to Countdown.
All right, guys, listen up. This is an addendum to everything that you have just heard. So literally 24 hours after we recorded that call, I got hit up by Ale and North going, Josh, 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 shit. We have discovered some more things that we spoke about on the call yesterday, and we need to clarify uh, clarify a couple of the points that we uh, touched on. So guys, I'm going to leave it with you. You did a boatload of testing after that call yesterday. Ale, I'll start with you. Tell us what happened. Yeah, so there there was a little bit kind of a discussion yesterday where we were trying to decide like, you know, what is actually causing these leeway issues. So we got together with Locke and we did some testing afterwards because I just wanted to see, you know, I wanted to test the the spell leeway, basically, um, you know, leeway when both targets are moving, you have an increased range in which you can use, you know, spells and abilities. And to our surprise, it was working. And as well, uh, the snare leeway was working, removing that rain. And um, what I'll say is, obviously, he'll be jumping up and down. So I'll say it's locked, obviously, because he'll be listening to this going, you son of a bitch. But North, tell me, uh, after you sort of, you, you and Ail had a bit of a, a chat about this just then, what does that mean for you, what Ail has uh, sort of been playing around with over the last day? Yeah, so um, we, in the last call, uh, had discussed the fact that there was no spell leeway and how that kind of made Mage a lot worse, and, and this really does sort of start to fill in the gap. There still is the problem with me- uh, melee leeway or melee attack range padding, as I've now begun to call what I the behavior that I see on the beta. All that being said, we thought that there was no spell leeway. Ale went and tested it. It was based on that testing, actually, that I... Because I had seen it uh, two weeks prior, and it wasn't working at all. So when I moved with another person uh, moving, I didn't get increased range on any of my abilities, my fire blasts, right, my, my counter spells. And so I figured, well, it's working now. I might as well go test everything. And lo and behold, AoE leeway that I'd been complaining about just last night, not being in the game, adding an additional two yards whenever you're moving to all of your AoE spells, is now in the game again. And I actually I posted a thread to reddit and i was really really happy so maybe the sky isn't falling right so and and i've seen one of those clips today someone posted one in the countdown to classic discord of an an example with arcane explosion basically the same thing as perplexity's video someone standing a you know ridiculous amount of space away from the mage pops off an arcane explosion and it hits so is that kind of going to be something that, look, let's hypothetically, it all should be fixed or what have you, but the, as you say, it makes you feel a bit better. Is it a tit-for-tat situation where, all right, you fucking Tauren warriors or whatever, get your extended leeway there and I've got this? No, no, crucially no. So, right, we made the distinction previously and I was really long-winded in it. There is a difference between what is melee leeway and what is this extended attack range nonsense. Tauren Warriors and their extended attack range aside, melee shouldn't get an increase in their abilities Hmm. unless they've already moved into melee range and then someone moves out of melee range. Hmm. They never get an extension no matter what. They don't get static extension based on movement. Mages and everyone with an AoE ability, you do actually get an extension because there's no way of having a lag compensation mechanic on any spell. So if someone is moving just outside of range of you, Right, they they added extra yards while you were moving just to make it so that it was easier to hit those abilities and make them more usable. That patch note is in patch one point three point zero of vanilla World of Warcraft, so it's documented there, and you actually see in patch two point three as well. They discuss the increased AOE radius 
that was removed from when you jump they removed it then from jumping so you never longer got it from jumping but in my video um and on the reddit thread i do use jumping to actually show what it happened so it's not a oh they get this leeway so we need more leeway leeway should exist it's just that this extended ridiculousness hmm. is a bit of a compounding of several mechanics one of which the melee attack range padding should not be in the game from the research that i've done all right now is there anything else between the two of you that you guys found out um after the call that you didn't know before that you know now no i think that pretty much uh surmises at least for me what uh the additional things that i learned essentially spell leeways in the game now aoe leeways leeway is back in the game which is great for mages fantastic for every spellcaster everyone should want the game to be how it was and functioning in a way that makes sense and this is a step in the right direction all right ale that's a pretty good summary yeah i couldn't say it better myself fantastic all right guys well now that we've cleaned that one up i mentioned to you that i wanted to talk to you two fine gentlemen about another topic that has really boiled to the surface over the last week or so now look not to say it wasn't a controversial topic before it was but now that we've had more time with the beta and actually seeing how it's being implemented in the game let's talk a bit more about layering now look i've published another call in this episode about exactly what layering is but the show has been somewhat um, not hesitant, but we haven't really gone into what people's thoughts are on it yet because we haven't really seen what it is. Well, guess what? Now we fucking have and people are losing their minds. Um, there's always going to be two sides of the argument to this one. And I'll preface this, guys, with please don't tear your hair out thinking that, oh, my God, here comes the the, the sky is falling anti-layering conversation. Yes, we might hit on some negative points about layering in this chat, but... It's always like it almost goes without saying the preface where you say it's the best of many bad solutions and people are saying, no, it's not. You shouldn't have any. And I'm still in that camp. I don't think we should have any of this stuff. I want to queue up for two hours to get in the game and play it as it was. I'm with you people. But obviously, a lot of people say, look, it's a necessary evil out of many of the necessary evil options. So there we've said that it's out of the way. Let's get into what you guys think of it. North, I'm going to start with you because I think you're going to be the feistiest here. So <laughs> I've seen the clips. And I'm going to immediately disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do not think that is the best of all the bad solutions. I agree that we do need a best of all bad solutions. I, I agree that that is a necessary thing and it, it does differ from yours. So I really want to be clear sure. about what I think. Sure. I, I don't think that the queues are the best options and okay. a lot of people throw server merges out there as well as, oh, you know, have these groups of servers predestined to merge and then merge them afterwards. I think that also is a very, very bad solution. Um, layering, I don't think, though, is the best of, of these bad solutions because you have the problem that it extends to later zones that aren't actually occupied by many more people. So you create many more instances uh, mm. of a endgame zone that otherwise wouldn't be there. Mm. That being said, if you have a shit ton of servers, you create the same problem, right. right? If you actually have a shit ton of servers that would later merge, you also have, right, say 40 people per server in, in then the end game where it would be 120 people and then, mm. right, four or three layers, right? So you, you'd send them doing the same thing. There still is that many resources and they eventually be merged. Mm. So in my mind, there does need to be a solution to the population problem. And in on at BlizzCon, we really had that discussed in terms of why they wanted to use sharding. They want to make sure the tourists, day one, 
don't occupy so much of the servers that they have to spread everyone out. And when they spread everyone out, then they will have dead servers afterwards. I think that does need to be addressed. And I think when people say, oh, uh, you know, we'll just have no solution. We'll have it be vanilla-like. I think that that's a little short-sighted considering mm. that there was a problem of dead servers even on vanilla itself to the point where they needed to introduce cross-roam BGs because so many servers couldn't actually get BG pops. Mm. And so at the end of the day, I think the best solution is sharding. I don't think ah. layering creates these problems for later zones. I think if you shard only the first few zones, the non-contested zones, and then beyond that, you just let everyone have like let, let everyone have it be a shit show, right? Past Barrens, past Westfall, past Lockmanan. Maybe you can go a bit further. Maybe you can go to the zone after that, right? Have Stone Talon or Red Ridge or Lockmanan. And and wetlands also sharded, but then the zones after that don't let Arathi, don't let Hinterlands, don't let STV, right? We need to preserve some zones, don't let Duskwood, right? But you need to have a line there. You, in my mind, having layering, the worst thing about it is it creates more of these phases in zones that don't even need it. Right. It's funny you say sharding because people might sort of gasp at that one, but I think weirdly over the last few days, it's been something that even though we were all unified in how horrible sharding was, I think for the most part, some people, some quiet grumblings have been coming out going, was sharding better than layering? But yeah, it's an interesting topic. The attempt at the rebrand was, you know, a a laudable (laughs) attempt. They try to be like, hey, it's consistent. You'll see everyone in the world around you. But practically speaking, you're still going to group up and then right phase out. So, so long as they could do the same thing for sharding where it's like you know if you don't if you don't layer away right but you can layer away naturally now so there's no real effective difference in sharding they said oh it's going to be so different oh it's going to be the whole world but when i walk around in a layer on the beta it's just Mm. it's just especially dead and then i won't actually get transported into an area with actual people (laughs) and and people were definitely laughing having a bit of a dig at the rebranding effort as well even though we have talked about on the show that sharding and layering are different and you know those differences have been put out there there the joke was you know it was essentially the the malibu stacy but she's got a new hat um so you know people (laughs) yeah exactly but i'll turn to you and mate um, I wanted to say that it, just to clarify it, you know, even though it doesn't fucking matter what I think, obviously, as I say at the top of every show, I think that, you know, my number one thing is still queuing with eventual server mergers. My number two is layering and then so forth and so forth. But Ale, what have you seen in the last couple of weeks that has perhaps, if at all, changed your opinion on layering and where are you at with it? Well, I'm, I'm kind of still with the the old one. Like I remember on our first call about it, Afterwards, I, f- I honestly kind of felt bad about the call because I just felt like I was so negative about the repercussions. Well, I've mellowed on that, and I think that I was like bang on about how you know bad this could potentially be. Um, I, th- I think the only kind of solace I have right now is that the fact that they can't actually layer the beta properly because there isn't enough people in there, that they're kind of creating these artificial smaller layers is what I'm hoping is happening and that they're going to stick closer to their implementation and what they discussed originally, where it's going to be like chunks of thousands of players Mm. because right now in the beta, like, you know, last night I went to Westfall and there was, there was no, but no Alliance there. I hopped between three different layers. I didn't see a soul Mm. and you know, just running around up to up to Stormwind, you know, same thing. I just I just can't find anybody. Mm. And I'm hoping that's more of a product of the population of the beta and not 
actually what it's going to be like. It's a great point to raise. And North, I'd ask for your opinion on this one because I know, again, there will be people listening to this absolutely fucking tearing their hair out going, how can we comment on it, Josh, if we haven't seen it in its full implementation yet? We haven't had the, the, you know, the population of a server launch. We haven't tested it. It is way too early to talk about what layering does. Do you think it is too early or do you think you've seen enough to kind of know where we're going? I mean, it's really challenging. That's a fantastic point that, right, you know, the people tearing their hair out saying, hey, like, you don't actually know what it's about. I agree. You can't really know if you're going to hate something until it's properly implemented. That being said, the reservations around it, I think you're accurate. That being said, Blizzard has a very easy solution. Drop the bullshit (laughs) with the fucking stress tests being sub only. Get enough people in the stress test that it actually makes sense. Hell, invite them to the goddamn beta so it's not dead and I have no one to get out there and kill, right? Like, if you actually let the plebs into the beta, you could probably beta test the game and not have it be a fucking streamer, you know, PR fest and actually have people in doing things, testing the layering with enough people, have the mega servers that they're trying to make that would cut down Mm. eventually, right? Give the plebs what they want. Let them in. I couldn't agree more. And you can more. actually test the game better. I couldn't agree I have more, a mate. Hat. Go, go for it, Ale. I, I think they're leading up to something bigger because every test they've done, they've increased, increased, increased. I think something bigger is coming. They've been testing their their kind of architecture, making sure things are working. I think we're going to get something big oh. towards the end of the beta because things have been ramping up. They did the first one. It was super small. It was really shitty. They did another one right away. They increased the size. You know, I agree. This completely. time it's everybody with the sub. Next time, like next time it'll be everyone. Might, I agree. It might I, be I think, everyone. Well, they've been allowing people to download it. They've been allowing people to download it, and everyone's asking in Discord, like, does this mean I can play beta? It just it, it's popping up on my fucking launcher. What's going on? And I would not be shocked at all if absolutely. And you know, they just go, guess what? Everyone, you're fucking in. Do it. But. I mean, it, I'm so glad to hear you guys say that you've been finding it a ghost town as well because you're all max level. I'm the pleb stuck back at level 33 still, like going, I haven't fucked. I saw, mate, I played for eight hours yesterday. I saw two people. It's, and I'm so glad that you're sort of experiencing the same thing <laughs> at level 40. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is, it is a ghost town. And I, I think there's a very, right, it, it's been that way for, probably two weeks now and the only thing that is really getting people up and moving around are these dueling tournaments which are nice but it it feels like a very easy solution just to let all the plebs in i hope that that's what they're leading up to Hmm. yeah i I had a a good point i had a good point raised to me yesterday when i was discussing this with somebody and they said you know what this is the first really true sign that blizzard is using this as their beta to make this game as good as possible they're testing it you know, to increase server population, if they're not ready for it and they still need to test certain things, like they won't bring more people in unless they're ready, right? Mm. And the benefit of having more people in is it makes a better gameplay experience for everybody in the beta. But if they're not ready to test on that level yet, then, you know, they're not doing that, right? That was that was a point that was brought up to me that I thought might have some weight. Mm. I should say, sorry, it, it makes me think that just back to what I was saying before, one of the two people that I saw yesterday uh, was Mad Season and he was like significantly higher level than me on the other faction. And I we stood like 10 yards apart from each other. I'm not sure if I said this on the call yesterday. And I was like, I might have mentioned it to you, Al, and I, I shat my pants for a second and he just slashed, waved at me and moved on. And I DM'd him and I said, dude, that was me. Thanks for not killing me. And he was so 
good about it. He's such a, a fucking legend. But um, I wanted to move on to what you guys thought of some of the more, you know, concerning examples we've seen and whether or not this is going to happen again, again, testing, testing. We don't know what's going to happen when we obviously launches, but the famous clip of Van Ruki getting the double chest at Guru Bashi. Now we've had a clip come up in the last couple of days. And, and I think North, you had something to say about this of soda, apparently switching layers just to avoid getting ganked or corpse camped North. I'll start with you. What have you thought about some of those clips that you've seen? I think that they represent even despite the issues that people take with the negative opinion of layering, right? When people say, let me clarify that, that was a little confusing. Um, when people take issue with the criticisms of layering, I'm with them because a lot of the times you don't have the implementation. People say, oh, there's 30 people and then it layers. Well, yeah, there's not that many people on the beta. So how are you really going to test it accurately? All very fair points. This, however, really is the, right, it's the icing on on icing on the, the 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 shit cake that some random fucking warlock in the goddamn school cafeteria is trying to serve you there uh, there's no way to get around this they haven't fixed this issue when it's been in the game for god knows how long like almost half a decade if not more in retail world of warcraft and they haven't fixed the issue of being able to hop layers like this when you invite people and if you can save a server if you can save a layer on a character, I can I can assure you that my entire second account will just be filled with layer hopping alts. Mm. And on launch and after launch and for however long there is, there is phase uh, phasing, layering, sharding, whatever you want to call it, I will be hopping from from place to place mm. and I will be using it to right to collect every resource that I can to kill every devil mm. star, to collect every chest, to exploit every right place that I can farm in, because if I don't do it, someone else is gonna do it. Mm. And it's going to be gold farmers rather than me. So, right, rather than buy my, right, like the gold that I'm on the server with and buy it back from them after they abuse that, I'd prefer to abuse it myself. So, so we're left in this sticky situation where you have to game a mechanic that's, that, 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 that's sort of, you know, ham fistedly being implemented rather than them limiting it for higher level experiences because it's not really important until it's being applied to STV and like this chest that's a three hour event, until it's being applied to Devil Shore or Lady later chests or rare spawns right and so if you prevent it from having that higher level impact i think it's important and yeah and of course you'll be jumping around to force feed as many warlocks there steaming bowl of shit that you can right oh i plan on going back to stone talon mountains once i hit 60 and corpse camping every warlock until they quit <laughs> um because that is that is what the good lord Medivh has told me to do it is worth noting however that the soda clip of him apparently I, I was told this after yep. watching it yep. uh that he didn't actually escape that gank like he didn't actually get <laughs> layered away because he got ganked like 30 seconds later <laughs> by the same guy so either that guy was really high iq and layer hopped back right. but there's no proof in the clip that he actually did hop layers uh we need to register layeringfails.com but we'll, we'll get on that soon ale uh <laughs> anything that you've seen in any of these clips that really causes concern for you well, of course, all of them cause big concern. Um, for science, on the stress test, we actually pushed it as hard as we could to see kind of exactly what you could do with it. And we used it to basically level faster than almost anybody else in the undead starting zone by basically hopping a layer every time we'd, we were doing duo leveling, had cleared out a section of mobs. We'd hop a layer, clear that out, hop another layer, clear that out. And we're able to actually push ahead of the group because we're killing mobs in the area that nobody was in so that's kind of like the big concern 
you know, fully, you know, personified for everybody is that you'll be able to, you know, gain resources if you know how to gain the system at a much higher rate than anyone else can or maybe are even aware of. Now, I think, like I said, this really depends on implementation because the only reason this is possible is because there isn't a shit ton of people in those layers you're hopping to. So if I'm hopping to that other layer and it's also full of people, the reason that this is a big deal is that those resources aren't being competed over in that other layer. So we're able to go back and forth. You know, if, you know, Venruki swaps to that other arena and he's surrounded by 20 other people, he gets splatted and it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. Right. But no, because it's empty because there's nobody, you know, there's, there's not people on the layers where they're testing, you know, it seems really overpowered. So that's, like I said, that's what I'm really hoping is that, this is a product of lack of people and it's not going to be like this on live. Like that's, that's my only hope. But if it, if it's not, and it is like it is in the beta, it's going to be a huge problem until it's removed. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for sounding off on, off on that. Is there anything North last chance, anything else you have to get in, you know, layerings down on the ground. We've just beaten the shit out of it. It's bleeding. It's, do you want to get one last kick in or are you pretty much all good? I mean, the last kick really will be, how bad this will be for casuals optically right because what it's going to do even if it layer it evens out the layering right if if there still are a few thousand people on it what it's going to do it's going to make the rich richer the people who are these <clears throat> hyper power gamers on launch are going to have access to potentially right if, if you've got seven layers in a server which seems ridiculous there's probably not gonna be twenty one thousand people on the server but if you have say four layers five layers in a server on launch so you're in the streamer server, you have access to five times as many resources in a way that's not that difficult from what we've seen. They haven't made it challenging to hop layers. Hmm. It has been very, very easy to do consistently. And so it really will make it so that when you show up afterwards, those 15,000 people are going to show up to a camp of mobs in Westfall that the people who had just been there hopped five layers killed all of them and moved on and so they're going to actually suffer as a result of the people in mm -hmm. front of them gaming the system taking more resources from them and actually causing the whole to suffer as mm -hmm. a result well time will tell boys what happens from here obviously you know as i said I'll, I'll really stress again we we don't know exactly what's to come we'll wait and see upon upon launch but you know people are obviously understandably very nervous and you know i'll add my name to that mix um i am one of the brutes who you know even though we talk about it on the show i have some very intelligent people like you two fun uh, fine young gentlemen coming to talk to me about it i'm still wrapping my head around it but what i've seen and what i've heard really makes me uneasy and we talk about you know the spirit of vanilla like it's you know the spirit of christmas or whatever but it is <laughs> under attack and you know getting double items, triple items, endless resources, being able to just ghost away from a ganking because you're not fucking up for it anymore obviously goes against the spirit of vanilla. And we shall see if um, we can somehow reconcile these issues upon launch. But boys, you're legends. Thank you so much for coming back to back days. Happy to be on, man. Always a pleasure. And I really just didn't want to look foolish after we came on the day before. And I said, no way we Larry. No way we Larry. And then have it actually be in the game the day after. So I, 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 I started spamming you in all caps. What, like four hours ago? So Josh, Josh, no, I look dumb. So I appreciate the opportunity to correct myself. Fair enough, mate. Yeah, right, th right there with North, too. Thanks for letting us come back and uh, giving up.
set the record straight. <laughs> All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call, and I welcome you to Countdown to Layering, the show all about layering that talks about nothing but layering. Here we are yet again talking about this topic, and obviously some of the listeners have been giving me some sort of friendly uh, elbows in the ribs going like, wow, Josh, you really talk about layering a lot on the show, but it's important that we figure out exactly what it is as many people are still trying to get their grasp on it. Now, I know a lot of you are rolling your eyes right now going, fucking Josh, we get it. We know what it is, but here's what happened. As many of you regular listeners know, we had an initial explanation of layering on the show. And then from that, a person who works in the IT industry, our friend Linkson, heard that while driving around and flipped out and said, that's not what it is, and felt the need to call in and clarify a few points. And that was great. We got there. And then we joked around with Linkson saying, you know what? Someone's probably going to listen to this call who knows even more than you and say, this is bullshit. And they'll want to explain it even further. And we had a laugh. And then that's exactly what happened. And so we have uh, someone on the line now who is, um, you know, Linkson said he, and, and to be fair to Linkson, he clarified many times. He said, look, I just work in security. I'm sure there's many people who listen to the show who will know more about this than me. So if anyone wants to correct me, feel free to do so. And now here we are with Das Moenator. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, mates, um, what I'll do is, first of all, I'll get you to just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, um, and why you're the best person to uh, basically comment on layering. Oh boy, that's a tall order. Best person. <laughs> well, um, uh, I work for uh, AWS, which uh, for those of you who don't know, it stands for um, Amazon Web Services, and that's uh, basically Amazon's cloud services division. Um, and that was the uh, the first, and I believe is still the largest uh, cloud uh, services uh, provider in the world. So, um, I've been there for like seven years or so. So I have a decent amount of exposure to, uh, uh, distributed systems and stuff like that. Um, should I do a brief explanation of like cloud stuff or should we just skip that and go into the, no, no, no. We'll, we'll definitely get there because I'm sure it all sort of correlates a little bit. Um, one thing I want to do before we get there is just talk about, because Linkson had a bit of fun with sort of explaining the moment that he was listening to the show and, and, you know, he was almost driving all over the road as he flipped out and said like, no, I've, I feel the need to tell the community more about this. And when you heard Linkson's calls, were you tearing your hair out going, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I, I will admit I was in the car when I heard that episode, so there there might have been a bit of, uh, yeah, reciprocation going on there. Oh, God, I hope Countdown to Classic doesn't cause an accident one day, but very good. <laughs> I'm glad you're here and you're able to clarify. But um, sure, let's start on that notion of just, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty of exactly what layering is and the way in which you'll be able to explain it, why didn't you set people up with what they might need to know about cloud gaming, perhaps, before we get to layering? Yeah, so I guess I'll just briefly give like a layman's explanation, I think, of just what cloud is, because I feel like it's this buzz term now that gets tossed around all the time, like, you know, like everybody has the, has a cloud now. Um, but basically a cloud, for those of you who don't know, it's just basically like a data center. Um, you can think of it as like a data center with like, I don't know, like 10,000 servers in it. And like those servers aren't um, aren't specifically designed to do any one thing. They're just generic uh, servers. So, I mean, they have, you have CPUs and memory and hard drives and uh, customers can just come up and be like, uh, I, you know, I'm launching a new website. I need a thousand servers. And, 
you know, Amazon will be like, sure, here's a thousand servers. And you just pay, you know, for like per hour, you know, like whatever it is, 10 cents per hour for each server. And you can have as many or as little as you want. And then when you don't need them anymore, you just uh, release them back into the pool. You stop paying for them. Uh, it allows you to, you know, scale up, scale down really easily. Obviously, buying a thousand servers yourself can cost like, I don't know, millions of dollars. So uh, if you're not going to be using those long term, it's definitely better to just sort of pay someone else to to have that giant data center and just sort of lease those servers uh, on a temporary basis. Um, and, and when I say lease, I don't mean like you're, you're not like physically moving the server or anything out of the data center, obviously. This is all like the, the service is owned by Amazon. It stays in the data center owned by Amazon. It's just like when you request the servers, uh, you know, some software and routing stuff flips over and they just give you the, the, the server with the IP address and admin rights and it's just yours for as long as you want it. And then, uh, and then when you're done, it, it's gone. All right. Fantastic. Why don't we focus in on, on what you heard on the call and, and then we'll get to sort of a bit more of a broader discussion on layering in general. Now, how about we, we will be fair to our good friend Linkson and we'll say, tell us what, if anything, he did. I'm sure he got something right, but what did he get right? Uh, well, uh, I'm going to dig through my memory here. I think, um, I think he talked a bit about how like, a. uh, a realm and a server aren't necessarily the same thing. And I think that's a good point. I think there's this, you know, abstraction thing and it's, you know, throughout computers, it's not specific to, to wow, you know, everything is, a, is an abstraction when it comes to uh, the internet. And so like we sort of use the re term like realm and server interchangeably. Uh, and I do that too. So I'm not like trying to shit on people to do that. Cause I do that all the time, but, but like technically, you know, even back in the vanilla days, like uh, a realm would, probably be at least two servers. I think Calendor and Eastern Kingdoms were probably hosted on separate hardware servers. And then you have like Dungeons Battlegrounds and stuff also on separate servers. So uh, so I think he was on I think he's on to something there. I think, you know, even when we talk about the vanilla days where the architecture was very static, uh, you know, being able to say like, well, there might be multiple servers that are sort of working together to provide you the experience of the realm, I think is is right on. And then, then of course that went crazy when it went to sharding. I, I sort of I don't know if we should sort of talk a little bit about sharding before we jump into layering or yeah yeah sure no, no I'll definitely get there I I, I want to have a bit of fun now because sorry Linkson's in the chat listening live so please be as brutal uh, be I'm not insulting no no be as brutal <laughs> as possible now he can take it <laughs> just smack down <laughs> tell me sort of the points that you felt he got wrong that you really made you jump to get in on this call and I say that as lovingly as possible obviously Linkson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no offense to links and everything. I actually think uh, some of the wording that's been put out by Blizzard is sort of intentionally ambiguous and allows it to be interpreted in different ways. So I think the way that links interpreted it is pretty common amongst like other news sources I've looked at. Um, but uh, but I don't, that doesn't mean I think it's correct. Um, so so I think like this analogy where he talked about like a, a glass inside of a larger glass inside of a larger glass, um, I think if you actually think of the ramifications of what that will mean, I don't think it makes sense from either like the player's perspective or from Blizzard's perspective. Right, because like the goal with with um, if you think about like modern computers, uh, I mean, I, I guess I'd say back in the day when like vanilla was released, like you sort of had a whatever the number of servers was per realm, whether it was one or two or three, it was a set number and it just stayed that, you know, and th and that and that's why you had queues, right? Because once you got over a certain limit, you just couldn't handle anymore. They would just have to queue up. You couldn't like scale up or down. But with modern com uh, like 
cloud infrastructures and things like you're going to have uh you're going to want like optimal efficiency so if you have like not a lot of people you're going to want to scale scale that down if you have a lot of people you're going to want to scale up and this is just sort of like expected now um like i mean I'm trying to th- like I'm trying to imagine like if Fortnite launched in, like last year or whatever that was, and they were like, "Oh yeah, more than three thousand people playing." Everyone has to queue, and like that would have just been the death of that game, right? But like, uh, so so the analogy of of filling up water glasses has a few problems. So the first problem is like, um, if you're if you have like um, if you have like three thousand and five players on this on the server, you're going to end up with two layers, one with three thousand people, one with five on it. If you're following that sort of analogy, and this doesn't really make sense, right? Because then you're going to have players who log into servers that look full, like it says there's over three thousand people on it, and then you go walk in Orgrimmar, and there's literally no one there. Um, and and I actually think Josh, you mentioned this on the talk with Links, and I don't remember what the conclusion was that you reached, but it seemed like this was brought up but it wasn't fully thought through don't tell me i got um, something right that would shock me <laughs> <laughs> yeah no you i think you're right on right on the money oh my god and and the, and the other problem with the analogy is that it there's no like and this might just be a problem with the analogy not necessarily with the philosophy but it does, how do you scale down right like if you're talking about filling up uh glasses of water like you would layers with players um that uh you know that doesn't really lend itself well to scaling down and so I guess, um, and I guess even further, you could you could also see a lot of exploits coming from that as well. So I've seen people talking about like, well, if you fill up a layer and then you have another layer that's that's a low pop layer on the same server, people in that in that low pop layer will be spamming trade chat, being like, "Hey, pay me ten gold, and I'll invite you to my group, which will move you over to my layer, and then you can go farm, you know, your devil sore hide or or whatever." Right? Um, so that would be like a monetary advantage. Uh, to be on one layer or the other. And I don't think this makes sense from Blizzard's perspective either because they only have 3,005 players. They'd rather just put the other five extra players on the first server and not have another layer. Mm. Um, so so I think from the scaling up and from the scaling down perspective, I think from the you know for the benefit of the players and for Blizzard's sort of efficiency and their profit model, um, I think what almost is certainly going to happen is when you scale up past 3,000 players, you're, you are going to see them split that in half, you know, the player base in half and move half to the new layer. Um, and then again, when you get to 6,000, uh, you know, players and you're going to get a third layer, they're going to take the first third or whatever of, of each of the first two layers and, and move it to the third layer. So you're going to keep a pretty relatively even number of players on all the layers. And then as new players log in and they'll be, you know, whatever, evenly distributed hmm. to all, to all the layers. And the same thing will happen with scaling down. So if you're, if you have two layers and you're getting down to like, you know, 28, 2700 players, uh, you know, Blizzard doesn't want to keep that server up and running, uh, for, in, you know, no reason when they could just move everyone back over to the first layer, which I think is what they'll do. Um, and I think the thing that probably, I think the thing that Winston said that I think probably I thought was the, the thing that made me want to call in was just how uh, he said you'll be locked to a layer once you log in. Um, and I don't think that's correct at all. Uh, I think phasing, like the phasing, the moving from layer to layer will absolutely be there in classic. Um, but remember, it's only going to happen when the total realm population changes by a multiple of 3,000. So it's going to be pretty uncommon. So you might not see it, you know, for days at a time, or you might see it, you know, every few hours rather than every fucking 30 seconds like you do in like retail. 
So you'll see it, you know, occasionally. And I think that's a reasonable compromise between, you know, people who don't want to queue up and, you know, Blizzard's own uh, profit profitability as far as not wanting their players to get pissed off waiting in queues and stuff and still be able to achieve that sort of high level of efficiency they want from their servers. I'm I'm so glad that you clarified that point about the what I was interpreting as a hard cap on that 3000 figure cuz I was still scratching my head even yesterday sort of thinking about it and as he said sort of links and, and to be fair other people have taken this interpretation as well going well once they hit that 3000 figure the new server just starts up and then there's you know if it's 3000 like you said if it's 3005 people or whatever then five people will go on the new server and I thought that sounds so odd like what happened if yeah. they don't get another 3,000. It's this weird little tiny <laughs> server, but you've explained it so well. And as you say, you, you think it's much more the case that it might just be split down the middle. So that does make more sense like to me. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, as you mentioned, it seems to be that um, – you know, Linkson did explain sharding on the show, and I thought he did a really great job in his sharding explanation. Is there anything that you'd like to add to that at all? As he said, maybe it's a, it's the point that we start before we get into layering. Uh, I think um, I think he I think he was pretty much right on. I think one thing he might have briefly mentioned or might not have mentioned is just that I I think in modern retail it's been a while since I played. Not only do they shard your realm, but they actually um, shard cross realm. Is that is that correct? You know, I'm not sure to be fair. Because I'm pretty, I, I vaguely remember last time I played back in uh, Legion or whatever it was that that like I ran into people who were from different realms, not in like battlegrounds or anything, just like out in the world. And so I think what they do with sharding is it's just like massively dynamic. It's like totally optimally efficient. You know, they take uh, people from you know any any zones, any realms, whatever that they can put together to make you know the optimal whatever 90% efficiency they're aiming for and just lump them all together and and go um and it doesn't matter where you're from i almost wonder if if they remade wow today if they would even have realms right like you might as well just log into the game and it would just figure out where to put you that's kind of what happens now like your realm means nothing in modern right modern right right well, look, if I mean, I sort of joke around, we talk about we'll have to rename the podcast The Shape of Water because, as you say, we've had many of these analogies about the water jugs and whatnot. I mean, if I had to. Hopefully, I don't have to make out with a fish at the end. <laughs> exactly. If I had to press you and I say, if we, if we now reconfigure the analogy, is it what are we talking about? Is it that wow servers are an ocean or what have you? Or how do we explain oh, it to the God. people? Yeah, I'm so bad at analogies. I was like trying to think of this before the show and like. I really don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's all um, right. That's all right. Yeah. I mean, if someone, you know, if you guys, if you want to uh, ask in the uh, Discord for people to come up with analogies and throw them out there, like, be glad to uh, look through them. I'm sure there'll be some fun no, ones. No, because well. if I throw it to chat, I'm going to say, what do you guys <laughs> think is the analogy for layering? They're going to start saying, every rose has its thorn. <laughs> and you'll be like that doesn't really apply at all but thanks anyway <laughs> now look let's let's talk about layering sort of the concept of it in general and just sort of if i if we wrap it up these last sort of five six seven minutes of this call and say look if i give you open slather now talk to people about what your uh sort of what you think is coming with layering, the way in which Blizzard will handle it. And also we talk about exploits and whatnot. Just go nuts. Go give, give us your open soundboard on the concept of layering. Yeah. So um, I guess I would say it seems like, you know, layering seems like it's just trying to be a compromise between like 
you know, the funny thing with sharding is that it's it it actually kind of seems ingenious because it's so freaking optimally efficient. It's just that it also totally ruins the gameplay, which is kind of an unfortunate side effect that they probably should have uh, looked into a bit more before they implemented it. But it seems like layering is kind of an attempt to take sharding and just tone it way back, but still try to achieve like broadly the same goals. And so, you know, rather than uh, prioritizing efficiency, I mean, they're still going to be sort of prioritizing efficiency, but I think their first priority will be making sure that there's the correct number of people on a, on a layer um, and that they can scale up and they can scale down. I think that's the main goal is being able to scale up and scale down. And efficiency is kind of there, but not nearly to the same extent that it would be with sharding. Um, and like I said, I think you'll see phasing. I know, uh, I think Linkson was saying when you showed him the video of the phasing that he thought it was a bug. And I mean, of course, that's possible. I, I, I don't, you know, this is all um, just sort of uh, educated guesswork on my part. Um, but uh, I, I think the phasing is not a bug. I think it's, uh, it might still be a bit of a work in progress, but I think it will be there. It'll just be very, very uncommon. It won't be nearly aggressive as what you see in modern day, modern day WoW. And um, I think, Actually, in particular, one thing I should probably uh, talk about, just because I think the Discord will tear me a new one if I don't, is that I think the the wording that I've heard on I don't know if it came from Blizzard directly or if it's just what's been like paraphrased on all these like news sites like Wowhead and stuff. But the phrasing I keep hearing is like, "You can only change layers by entering a group, um, or or by logging off and logging back on." I guess. Um, and and that phrasing, I think, is a little bit ambiguous, but I don't think it means that you can just never change layers except for joining a group. I think it means you as a player cannot change your layer the way you can with a shard. Like with a shard, you can just walk in and out of a zone until you end up in the shard that you want. Um, but what I think they're trying to say is like you as a player cannot control a layer you're in. You can't you know, easily manipulate it to go in and out of different layers real easily. The only way you can change your layer is by joining a group. Um, but that doesn't mean Blizzard won't move you to a new layer when they need to. I don't think they're going to wait around. You know, if, if they're if they're scaling back down their layer and you're the last person on that layer, I don't think they're going to wait around for hours or, you know, potentially if you're really hardcore marathoning it days uh, for you to log off so that they can shut down that layer, costing them, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for for no reason. Um, so, so I just think it's just not realistic to think that like they won't, they'll just wait for everyone to log off of a layer before they scale down. I, of course they won't do that. That's a huge, huge, uh, monetary loss for them. And so they're, they're you know, they're, if anything, they're going to be more aggressive about scaling down than they are about scaling up because scaling up is just about meeting customer demand. And that's sort of a fungible concept. But when it comes to scaling down, like they want to scale down to the minimum number of servers they need to handle the load and no more because every other server you have after that point is just money down the drain and they aren't cheap absolutely now i can't wait to go through that again when i listen back to this because you are tearing it up at a machine uh, sorry going if I'm talking too no, fast no, no 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 it's amazing i love it because i get the same way when i'm at work sometimes and i'm going really nuts on something that i'm passionate about but like you are absolutely being very succinct in the way you're putting it forward but the problem is because i'm so like you know uh, the lack of proficiency with tech on my end it flies over my head but trust me like it's the same with links and when i listen to it a second time i go now it makes sense but i'll give you this one last opportunity my final question as we wrap it up so sort of speak now or forever hold your silence on this concept of layering are you for or against it 
Yeah, I think people are probably going to rip me a new one for this, but I'm I'm for it. I I actually like I like I sort of said a minute ago. I actually thought sort of the philosophy behind even like sharding was pretty ingenious. It's just a horrible implementation. Um, and maybe this is just my background in in like cloud services coming in because I'm always kind of driving for like optimal efficiency in my own job as well, and like all optimal scalability and stuff like that. So so seeing them try to you know not have queues in a game that's coming out in 2019, I think is totally reasonable and probably necessary. Um, and I don't want to wait in queues. I mean, I played back in vanilla. I remember I'd wait in queue like one time for like two and a half hours to get in. And like, that's fine when you're in like middle school and you have nothing to do. But like, I have a life now, like two and a half hours is the amount of free time I have on the weekend. So if that's my queue time, I'm just not playing. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely for it as long as it's done well. Like if I see, if I see more than one phase every like two hours, I'll be pretty pissed off. But like, if I can get one phase per two hours to get a good experience, I'm okay with that. Like any more than that is pushing it. Okay. Well, look, Dasmo Renata, thank you so much for coming on and providing this further clarification. Now, we've joked about this before, and I want to keep going with it. It's one of those things where I think we're going to get to the point where maybe one of these days, one of the people who like invented the internet will be driving along <laughs> and listening to Countdown to Classic and hear this call and go, what the f- fuck and then they'll call in to give even further clarification but yes absolutely thank you so much mate i really do appreciate it and uh, yeah thanks for having me on thanks for being gentle for my first time i appreciate it i appreciate the roses you brought me as well very nice hey look i'm tender i'm loving i'm caring it's the least i could do no thank you so much for calling in mate and look we'll have to speak to you again sometime this was a lot of fun yeah yeah thank you definitely All right, it's time for another Countdown to Classic call and another Countdown to Classic PvP call with our PvP gurus. And we've got a couple of faces back from that last time we talked about Warsong Gulch. Obviously, as many of you know, Blizzard decided to open the gates to Alterac Valley, as many of us suspected that they would. They gave us, you know, um, level 58, instant level 58 characters, I should say, of any class. Jump in, muck around in Alterac Valley, have some fun over the weekend. I did it. The guys on this call did it. And we're looking forward to telling you about some of our experiences and things that we noticed, both beta testing wise and just fun wise. So let's introduce everyone. As always, the de facto host of the show, Ale. How are you, mate? Oh, just, you know, basking in all this uh, glory. <laughs> the name recognition is outrageous. I love it. It's so good to see. You saw on that last call, which I don't know if, what order they'll be played in, but someone was saying, I can't believe I'm speaking with Ale. This is amazing. I wanted to say, what about Josh? No, no, fuck Josh. Josh is old news. Don't worry about me. And we've also got on the line Kano. Welcome back, mate. Thanks for coming back again. Hey, thanks for having me back. My pleasure, mate. And as always, you all know him. You all love him, I guess. Locke, how are you, mate? It's good to be here, and I'll be the de facto host soon enough. Yeah, why not? Just take it on. All right, guys, let's get into it. Alterac Valley. Now, my stance on this battleground has always been this. It's my least favorite of the vanilla battlegrounds, but I still think it's a you know it's a solid bit of fun if that's what you're looking for. Um, ordinarily, I wouldn't really run to AV. Didn't play it a lot um, at all much in vanilla. I really did gravitate much more towards... Um, you know, Warsong Gulch and Arathi Basin. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Arathi Basin, but that's just me. But anyway, let's talk about it. Guys, Ale, just generally, how do you think the weekend went? 
Uh, it was a lot of fun. I think the way in which they set it up was excellent. Being able to make pre-made characters, you know, allowed you to try anything you wanted, really. So that for me was was a huge part of fun. And Kano, how about you? Did you just in general? Did you find it fun, or did you find it a little bit sort of of a letdown, or it's all good? I actually found it as a bit of a letdown. They give you level fifty-eight characters, and they only give you a certain. In some specs, you can't even play because the gear wasn't designed around those specs. Yeah, it was definitely. Who wants to play red, anyways? Right, like paladins only had red gear; they didn't have any holy. It was slightly limited choices in terms of the gear, for sure. That was kind of disappointing, and I I see it more as like they won't try to do it as a hype for classic for the streamers, and I think it was a bad decision to do level fifty-eight and should have been sixty with real gear, so people could do really cool play. But other than that, I still had a good time. Good stuff. Locked, how about you? Did you have a good time, mate? Uh, yeah, I had a wonderful time. Um, I didn't really test much out outside of Hunter because Hunter for life. Uh, but yeah, I, even I noticed the uh, gear decisions. Like Some of them were very, very odd. Um, the plus strength I had on my gear was almost the exact same as plus agility on a Hunter. So not sure how you know much I'd be going for plus strength gear as I level up, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. Now, I was reminded, just talking generally about AV before we get into the nitty-gritty of some of the things that you um, theory crafters or bug testers might have come across, you know, I just found a, a quick reminder of, oh, yeah, that's right. This is what AV is like. And and there was that great, um, you know, uh, uh, a gif going around of the two packs of birds going at each other on Twitter. And it's like, you basically, you sit at the choke points for the most part. This is my experience in, in sort of the seven or eight hours that I got to play. You know, you got two packs of about 20 or so just sitting at the, ch- at the choke points, push a little bit forward, push a little bit back. And just, you know, if someone's unfortunate enough to get at the top of the pack, they'll be like, you know, sniped away, which was usually me, unfortunately, because I'm a fool. And I'm like trying to get in range for as a shadow priest going like, come on, I just want to get like, and you pop that dot off and you're like, <laughs> I showed them and then they just get healed and it's all for nothing. But it's, it's an odd one until you kind of break away as a pack. But Ail, let me ask you, what, what class did you spend the most amount of time with and what did you find, uh, you know, either bug-wise or just gameplay-wise that was interesting? Uh, I probably split most time between Rogue and Mage. Um, and for me as a Rogue, it was kind of the same as you. I found myself, like, largely ineffective in those large-scale battles. Uh, so you had to break off and do other things as a Rogue, like either, like, sneaky backcapping or, you know, a small group like taking down specific targets. Um, probably the funnest thing I did as a rogue actually was uh, like distracting people off the bridge, which overall I don't think was that helpful to the fight, but it sure was funny. Yeah, and there were some great highlight clips going around of your work there, which were absolutely a, a really good laugh. Now, I should welcome in a late joiner, Fried, back again. Thanks so much for joining, mate. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, I was just uh, doing the laundry and stuff, so yeah, came in last minute. All good, mate, all good. Well, I'll, I'll kick it straight to you and say, you know, what class did you find yourself playing a lot of that Alterac Valley weekend, and what did you notice? Well, the first day I played, I was in a nine-hour AV on a Warrior, so uh, that was probably the class I played the most of the weekend was Warrior. And, uh, well, I noticed the gear wasn't very good, but... Other than that, the flow of the games was was about what I expected. 
Now, Ale, you were in on that nine-hour one, weren't you? It was. It was me and Fried in there. How was that? Playing Elemental Shaman. How was that as a battle of attrition? Man, I tell you, it was a grind. After, I'm trying to think. I think we did. We did. We end up winning that one. Uh, yeah, we ended up winning. It, we ended up winning, but it felt like we like won the war, lost the battle, because afterwards I just had to like log out and go for a walk because, <laughs> man, it was it was a slow. All right. Now, Kano, I'll throw it to you, and, and we'll start to touch on this one, guys. As far as beta testing is concerned, did anyone spot anything in that weekend that really made them concerned or things that need fixing straight away? I haven't seen really anything. I don't know if the guys remember anything, but nothing really stand out except for maybe Hunter feign death in Battleground. When you feign uh, death, you don't need combat. So you can feign death and trap. And pets are a little buggy. But that's a class issue and not a Baltic Valley issue, I guess you could say. Okay. Locke, what is that do you want to go into it a bit more about how much that's been pissing you off? Um, so basically, as far as I can tell, feign death is bugged within an, with inside instances. So it doesn't matter if this is AV or the beta itself, but, uh, when you feign death, you do not drop combat automatically. Like it still actually takes a while. And because of that, uh, if you're trying to do the feign death trap method, um, you actually fail horribly because you don't drop combat and you just are still standing there with a warrior in front of you trying to murder you horribly. So it's not working as intended at the moment, which is very, very annoying. Okay. Ale, any bugs you saw? Uh, the biggest one that I saw is people were actually able to jump up onto the Alliance uh, base by Vandar. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's a bug or if that's just a product of, you know, the environment of being able to jump up in places, but they're actually able to kind of get in behind and attack people through the walls and be unreachable. Um, I know, I'm not, I'm not sure Locke, it might have been Vomp actually, who was trying to, to get up in the same spot. And like, I think, I think that's a major issue where people are able to actually get in a safe spot where, you know, you don't know how they got up there. It's really difficult to do it. And they're able to like shoot through the walls while you're trying to do Vandar and things like that. Yeah, it really looks like uh, the classic experience is back uh, with all the wall jumping still there as well, which um, as much as I love exploration, when it comes to PvP, I really don't think that stuff uh, should be there. I actually seen a guy up there and went up there in 1v1. It was actually pretty fun. How'd that how work out for you? to get up there? Um, it was interesting because he just kept kiting me around the backside, like behind the map. But I ended up winning because he uh, had a guard on him for a little while. As Al said, how difficult was it to get up there? It's actually one or two jumps to get up there, if you know the Now, Al, you showed me the back door as we were running around Horde side um for the first time and and you you actually showed me something that we've talked about on the show before and i found it really really interesting it's not an easy jump but yeah it was interesting to see for sure i had a bit of fun with that and then we got cleaned up unfortunately as soon as we got to the top of the jump but the back door is real it is which is good but unfortunately the alliance were expecting it um that was kind of what people were saying was going to be the equalizer for Horde was be able to be able to get in the back door like that because the choke point between the Alliance and Horde attacking is so different. Like for Alliance, when you're attacking as Horde, you basically have a choke point all the way from like Stonehearth right to their base, which is crazy. And that's how big stalls get when 
you know, the horde are more offensive. So people saying that you're able to backdoor would help the horde, but honestly, like it doesn't, it didn't feel like enough. Mm. Now, Fried, did you come across any bugs, mate? Um, pretty much the same thing these guys have mentioned. Uh, when I played Hunter, Feign Death was not working. Pet wasn't very responsive. Um, wall jumping, there was plenty of wall jumps to be had, which I don't think are necessarily a bad thing. But for the most part, everything everything seemed uh, seemed to feel pretty good in terms of AV. All right, all right. Let's get into the 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 juicy part, guys. And Kano, I've been told that you've got a pretty fun story because uh, last time we talked about you know Warsong Gulch and Arathi Basin, I said, "Hey guys, anyone have any funny uh, funny encounters or any run-ins with known names or anything, or just memorable moments from your time in the battlegrounds?" And I've been told that you've got a pretty good one from this Alterac Valley weekend. So why don't you hit us with that? Right. So I was playing with a few friends and we had three rogues and we were going behind the the alliance. And as they go back to like hide and eat and drink to get mana to go back into fighting. We... The next thing I know, I see two characters named Kano dead and Kano gonna die or something like that <laughs> <laughs> on alliance. And they were stream sniping me and one of them was actually ale. <laughs> There's no proof. <laughs> <laughs> you lie. <laughs> so three it. rogues ended up jumping one guy named Kano Dead. Very good, very good. Ale, would you like to answer these allegations? Purely false. Um stream lies, snipers. Lies. I would never be in this in this Kano is just paranoid. <laughs> Very good. All right. And uh, Locke, I'll turn to you, mate. We uh, we ran a few battlegrounds together. Now, I don't expect you to say, that, of course, that running a battleground with yours truly was the most memorable moment of the weekend. But what else stood out in memory for you? Um, my favorite memory is uh, when I managed to get uh, two one-verse-ones against Swifty in the uh, middle of the field of Struff. Ah, yes. Uh, he was... Uh, trying to sneak past uh, the Horde group and managed to do so, except for one lone hunter who proceeded to attack him and die almost instantaneously. But then I rest <laughs> and I was able to fight him a second time and I won. <laughs> Very good. And everyone knows it's what happens in the in the rematch that counts. Exactly. It's just like, you know, um, Rocky 1 versus Rocky 2. Exactly. All right, guys. Fried, how about you? Any memorable moments or encounters? I mean, the most memorable moment had to just be the end of the nine-hour AV, getting getting the victory and, and getting out of there. All right. Now, guys, I should say, how do you think this worked out for Blizzard in showing off this beta? Now, it seems to be like, you know, we're all guessing that the level cap's going to be extended. AV will perhaps come about in some way. I mean, we've only got another, you know, the, the beta's not going to be around that much longer. We've only got, you know... Um, another couple of months with it. But uh, what do you think in terms of showing AV off this weekend? Do you think it was a, a good decision by Blizzard to do it now or did you find yourself scratching your heads a little bit? I'll open this one up to the floor. Anyone jump in? I think it was actually a really good decision. Um, just having a look at the Twitch streams and so forth, it was amazing. Like It's one of the few times where in this entire world of Warcraft where pretty much everyone who was playing it was just brought into this one spot. And if you watched any stream for any amount of time, like you'd end up seeing that streamer playing with another 10 known people. Like you'd notice names just running around and moving around that area. And I think it just created, you know, this 
unique experience that, you know, really showcases what WoW is in a very unique way that's going to be very hard to repeat uh, once launch happens and everyone moves into their own individual little service. Anyone else want to piggyback off of I that? I think it was a, a good choice to have AV for a hype type event, but I think it could have been executed a little bit better. I would have preferred to see like three phases, let's say, of AV. Phase one, where people are in tier one, for example, and then later, maybe the next day, phase two, where people have tier two, and then like a final last stand night where everyone's in tier three. I think that would have been really cool. Can can I ask the dumb guy question? And you guys know I'm allowed one dumb question every now and again. Why did we get level 58s and not 60s? Um, I honestly think it's um, to really showcase what AV was. And by giving 60s with perfect gear, um, you'd get very, very quick games. By giving level 58s with imperfect gear, uh, you artificially create those nine-hour long games because they are a lot harder. Mm. Kano, is that what you were thinking? Um, maybe I'm just worried that maybe their like set bonuses on some of the gear for tier one, tier two, tier three aren't worked out yet, so it might not be working. So that could cause problems. Okay, now I'll open this one up to the floor again. Having spent all this time in AV over the weekend, guys, I'm not sure what your preferences are in terms of battlegrounds. I'm guessing from what we've spoken about before, it might not be so much leaning towards AV, but. Having now jumped in it again and spent all that time with some names on there and having a bit of fun, I mean, has it changed your opinion on AV at all? Or it's still like, no, I've played enough Battlegrounds to know that, you know, how I feel about AV is how I feel. No, not really. That's about what I expected from an AV with a little 58 random gear. But I, I think the whole like old AV versus new AV thing is, I don't know, the games will be longer, but at the end of the day, pre-mades or, or ranker groups are, are going to be rolling rolling over AVs. Well, that's a great point to raise, Fried, and it's something that I've seen pop up in the forums already is the people saying, aha, see all you haters, you know, 1.12 AV can produce long matches. You were all saying it was going to be over in fucking half an hour, blah, 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 blah. But you guys who were there in that nine-hour one, and Ale, I know you're rather passionate about this topic, what do you have to say to those people raising that point? Well, I think it's kind of like Fried said. The reason that the game had gone so long is that there was a general lack of organization and people were actively doing things to not end the game. So, for example, like, you know, taking Stonehearth. So uh, you basically need to make it in such a way that the Alliance don't have the choke points set up so you're able to push through. But without having people coordinated, you know, we were just set up almost in a perpetual like stalemate, right? With the Alliance defending, we had pushed all the way in. I think Towley was in that game. We were just like killing him over and over repeatedly. And they had just set it up perfectly. And every time we had summoned Ivis, I think we summoned Ivis like three or four times, they would just kite him into the base. We weren't able to push through. And eventually it took, I think, uh, letting Stonehearth be capped and then not recapping it for us to spawn behind them, then to spawn in front of us, and then a base race ensued and it was over. And I, I think we were actually in a game on the second day, Josh, that was only like 20 minutes long. Hmm. Yeah, the, sure no, the, the ones, look, I ran a fair few and I definitely was involved in a couple of 20 and 30 minute games, but the majority of them were 90 minutes to two hours. Yeah, I, I think with organization, um, 
the games will uh, you know definitely speed up. Um, and then without that, I think there'll still be long games. Like there'll still be ones where you know a bunch of random people are queued in, and there's difficulty in getting you know everybody organized. Like you said, it was kind of like twenty v twenty slamming into each other, and then the rest of the people just kind of running around, you know, doing their own thing, like throwing people off bridges and stuff, which don't really help push any objectives. They just work against the game actually ending because you don't have enough to you know to break through oh but we need heroes like that ale we need you (laughs) now final question guys i'll go around through everyone just have a think about this one uh big scalps did anyone take any known names down i'll tell you that uh, i know i got asman a couple of times um i was very dubious that it was him but upon investigation it was absolutely him so there you go I'll, i'll go through everyone one by one any names ale I mean, I have a pretty good clip of me killing Cargos, which is really funny. <laughs> um, besides that, like, actually, like, one of my friends, like, Navik, he always queued in as a warlock. He was, I think, a gladiator as a warlock. And uh, he always queued in with a few healers. And he actually was another reason that the game we were in with Fried went so long. He queued into it with two or three pocket healers and just made it extremely difficult. Uh, we had actually, at one point, backcapped on them and we're likely going to take the relief hut, or is it the relief hut? Yeah, the relief hut. And he came in with his healer group and wiped us. And that pretty much, like, I was actually pretty ticked at that point because we had a good opportunity to end the game at that right there. And then without him doing that, you know, it just it just made the game take forever. Hmm. Okay, Fried, anyone for you? Oh, there's quite a few tally kills in that nine-hour uh, AP. So. <laughs> Oh, good. Kano? Um, just Ale when he was stream sniping me. He was probably my best one. Oh, so did you get revenge? <laughs> the problem is everyone, everyone had different names, so I wasn't sure if, who was who sometimes. They'd have a name that wouldn't match who they are. So did, so you got revenge? I just killing Ale because he was stream sniping me, and that felt good. Good. Good as it should. <laughs> are you going to put me on the blacklist? You don't know who, <laughs> no, don't know who no, I was, no. though. If I was there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're blacklisted now. Yeah. It's all over now, man. If it was allegedly me, then, you know, yeah. Locked, how about you? Names outside of Swifty? Uh, yeah, already mentioned Swifty, uh, but I did manage to kill Smooth McGroove as a naked oh, hunter because no, I decided one game friend. I'd run around naked. <laughs> friend of the show, um, Otherwise, I believe I got Asmin once and I got um, Musclebrough. Or Musclebrough. Oh, okay. Is. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Uh, I mean, as I say, I got Asmin a couple of times, but I mean, it's not like he didn't get me back, so it's all tit for tat. But anyway, guys, it was a, it was a good, uh, fun weekend. It was something to do. I think it was a good little gesture there on Blizzard's behalf, and obviously they've got to test it out, and now we've done it. So, guys, we'll have to uh, check back in as more and more PvP revelations come up, but thanks so much for doing this quick one now. Ale, as always, thanks, mate. Thank you very much. I don't know if we're going to have any more PvP revelations. Uh, the queues have dried Oh, the only revelation is going to be me figuring out how shit I am at it, but that's all right. I'll talk about that on the show later on. Fried, thanks so much for coming back, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me sneak in there. No worries. And Kano. Hey, thanks so much for having me again, Josh. I appreciate it, dude. My pleasure, mate. And Locke. That's wonderful to be here, man. All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call, and I'm so happy to be joined by Judgment. How are you? Hello, yes, I'm fine. 
It's so good to have you here. Now, Judgment, you're calling in because you were um, one of the people who achieved a server first uh, on the recent stress test. And this is the second call that I've taken on this topic. And I didn't really clarify in the first call, so we might as well do it here, that um, as I've been told, there were about 15 servers perhaps up for the stress test. So there's going to be a few people out there that will be saying, obviously, I was server first, be it Horde or Alliance, but you were an Alliance server first on server number 15. Is that right? Uh, yes, on the stress test server 15. Yes. Fantastic. And and I'd love to get into a little bit about um, how you went about it, but what intrigued me so much about both yourself and the other person that I spoke to is that you guys did it with what we would maybe call unconventional classes for speed leveling, because obviously the meta for speed leveling would change a little bit when it's you know at a lower level, like a race to 15, a race to 20 or what have you. And you did it with a paladin. So... You've been speed running for a little while. You document that on your YouTube channel. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, um, firstly, why Paladins for your speed running um, uh, adventures? Uh, well, I'm main a Paladin, and I'm not really interested in any other classes at the moment. So um, all my focus is on Paladins. And uh, while it started out that I felt like it took too long to get to level 60, so um, I started building a leveling guide and I got better and better. And uh, finally, I started to be able to compete with the most other classes. So then I just uh, kept going at it. And here we are. And those leveling guides were built with paladins as well. Is that right? Yes, everything is paladin. Okay, so... Just getting into perhaps this particular stress test, and then we'll go into a bit more about Paladin's leveling in general. But did you have any, um, you know, scary moments during this one? Any near deaths or anything? Or um, how close of a race was it for you? Uh, it was actually really close. I was behind all the way until around 14 and a half. Uh, then I had a big chunk of turn-ins, which uh, got me 15 before uh, a hunter. But yeah, I died actually quite a few times in the beginning to stupid stuff. But overall, it was fine. Yes, a good run. Oh, that's that's interesting that you did actually die a few times. Um, Artemis, who I spoke to on the other call, said she was very, very close to death once or twice, getting down almost in single digits of HP. But luckily enough, she didn't get killed and she felt that one death would have screwed her for the race. But you actually were able to withstand a few. Were you, you know, screaming at your monitor or going nuts when they happened or were you still pretty confident? Mm-hmm, pretty confident. Well, I wasn't actually believing that I would get server first in the beginning because when I was around level 7 or 8, that's when I died to those pesky wolves in uh, Evelyn Forest. Uh, there was actually a hunter who was more than one level ahead of me. So I thought it was over already uh, by then. But I just kept going and I caught up to him. Okay, now... You've obviously developed your own roots. I asked the same question of Artemis. Do you find that you were mostly grinding or, as he said, you, you did a few turnings in the end that pushed you over the edge? Is it basically the way to success is just that mixture of questing and grinding and just knowing which which quest to pick? Yeah, it's uh, mostly questing. It's only in the beginning where you have to resort to grinding a bit, like a 1 to 10, I would say, maybe even less. Because if you can just get ahead from the starting zone, like one to five, then you're pretty much set for a quest in the rest of the route if you can just keep up the pace. 
So starting in Elwyn, just off the top of your head, are there any quests that you know straight away that you could tell people, just don't even bother with these quests, they're ridiculous and they too, take up too much time if you're looking to speed level? Uh, I always skip the kobold quests in the starting area. You have to kill 10 kobolds, and then you have to kill 10 more kobolds, and then you have to kill 12 kobolds after another. And everybody just goes there immediately and starts killing them. And especially on the classic servers where the long respawns, there's no chance you will be able to complete those quests in a timely manner. So I would just uh, kill some wolves, get to level 2, and then go straight to the defiance to skip everybody's... Uh, to skip the choke point, so to say. Okay. Now... Talk to me a little bit about paladins and speed leveling, because like I say, I just don't associate the two generally, and it's so great to talk to someone who has achieved some success in speed leveling as a paladin, because, you know, fools like me sit around and say, oh, paladin, auto attack, auto attack, how could you possibly burn through the content at at a rate that would make you compete somewhat? Now, why don't you tell people what it is about paladins that they can bring to the table that may be a little bit underrated in terms of achieving things quickly in-game? Uh, well, I would say that they are very strong in the beginning because, uh, because of your heals and uh, you have actually really good damage in the beginning. Uh, stable damage, that's the important part with your judgment uh, the spell judgments uh, and your seals you have actually very stable damage in the beginning and you can tackle mobs that other people struggle with quite easily um, so uh, you get a good start uh, and then you act- it starts to slow down maybe around level 40 that's when I say the hardest part about being a paladin leveler is but up to level 40 I actually think it's uh, it's quite smooth and quite fast. So once you go beyond level 40, what do you think it is that hampers paladins and do you do anything to overcome that? Uh, well, it's uh, mobs starting to get harder. They have a lot more HP. Uh, so you can't just uh, kill them instantly with uh, one crit or one good seal of command hit with a judgment. So you need to rely more on getting procs and in the long run... Uh, it's much slower than someone like a mage who can just keep uh, shooting their frost bolts at a stable rate. I said that in the beginning that paladins have a stable, high and stable damage. When you get past level forty, it becomes less stable and more like an RNG machine. Um, and you also need to rest more and drink more because of you. You will have a lot of more mana problems later on, so that will also slow you down. Now, do you have aspirations for a world first when the official launch comes? Uh, no. As I said, our, well, as a paladin, you will never have a shot at getting anything else than your class-specific, like a, the paladin server first or something like that. You will never be able to beat a hunter or a mage, at least. Fair enough. So you're going for that paladin server first. I mean, it sounds like you've been working on it for some time. Tell us about the work that you've done on it, and you sound pretty confident like you could get it. Uh, yeah, well, I've been playing on uh, private servers back since Nostalgius. Um I actually played a hunter back then, but I started playing paladins in uh, the first Elysium server that came up. And then I just um, kept going, and I started working on uh, my leveling guides like probably a year ago, I would say. And um, when I started getting good at it, I uh, decided to make a YouTube channel and post some runs. And 
Yeah, I'm working on my written leveling guide as well, which I will release for free later on before release. Oh, very good. Well, look, I mean, on your practice runs on private servers, just to give people some kind of rough indication, 1 to 60 on a Paladin, what kind of times are you pulling in? Uh, you can get around five days pretty easily uh, if you don't screw up too much. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure that will be able to will be possible on the live classic servers uh, because well we have I haven't I don't have access to the beta so I haven't actually leveled anything past the 15 which I did on the stress test so I can't actually say how big the difference is but my goal is uh, around five days. Okay, now. I'm not sure if you, you know how deeply entrenched you are in the speedrunning community. Obviously, you're doing your own work on on the on your YouTube channel, and you've got a great interest in it. But who, I mean, if if you could at all, do you have any bets on who you think is going to take out that world first? Do you think it's a foregone conclusion it'll be Joanna, or do you think we'll see someone new that maybe you know of or or people know of that might come to the forefront? Uh, well, when we're talking about world first, it's actually. Do we talk like, because it's like, um, what could you say? The servers might start at different times. Some servers might go down and stuff like that. And you have US will probably maybe have an edge. I don't know. No, there was a global release, actually, I thought about. But if we're talking about who the first hits uh, 60 globally, I don't think it's going to be anyone recognizable that we know i just think it's going to be some someone new we haven't heard about really because there's so many people who's doing this stuff now so yeah i agree and i i can't wait to hear from you know to, to see what happens obviously when it all goes down well look judgment uh thank you so much for coming on the show and, and telling us a little bit about how you did what you did i really do appreciate it and actually i should say sorry please feel free plug your youtube channel where can people find you and your work and what can they find there uh, yeah, thanks for having me. My uh, YouTube channel is called Judgment. You may not be able to find it if you only search for Judgment. So you can search for Judgment Classic Wow and it should come right up. Fantastic. Thanks so much, mate. Thank you. All right, it's time for another countdown to Classic Call. And I'm so happy to be joined by Artemis Hal. Artemis, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. It's my absolute pleasure. Now, if people aren't aware of Artemis Howe, there's a reason that you very much so should be aware because she uh, came in, I guess, what you would call the news lately with uh, the stress test that happened the other day, the third stress test that WoW Classic has been through. A lot of you got involved in that. It was great to see. And there was a, you know, a increase, I guess you could say, from last time in terms of level cap. And Blizzard said, all right, we'll let you go up to level 15. And so a number of people got involved in a bit of a race and said, hey, let's see obviously who gets there first, as players are wont to do. And the person who got there first was Artemis. And funnily enough, people would think, oh, well, I presume she played a hunter. And that's not the case. So Artemis, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story and what happened in the stress test? Oh, man, where to begin? Um, so I been a really big classic wow fan for many years now um secretly <laughs> um, but uh we got myself and my partner are both avidly into like the whole speed running kind of side of things for 
uh, leveling in Classic WoW. Mm-hmm. We got into the invite-only beta, and we've just really honestly been practicing like leveling routes and stuff like in our free time. Mm-hmm. Um, he even streams his routes and stuff. So that's where we kind of like build off ideas from one another and just see how it works. We wanted to do the stress test race just to kind of verify that like in a very high populated um, realm, I guess you can say, that our methods would work in terms of getting ahead of the curve. And luckily, our research and pathing knowledge helped out tremendously, and it turned out it did work. So pretty excited for that. And now we're really eager looking towards launch and cleaning some more stuff up so we can, you know, try to compete for hopefully World First 60. Not on my end, unfortunately, because I am going to have to be duo leveling with another player, but I know for sure he is. Okay. And interestingly, obviously, you did it as a shaman, which is a class that not many people generally associate with speed uh, speed leveling, I should say. Yeah, I think shaman's kind of like an underdog there, but they have like the most potential to leveling uh, very, very quickly early on. Uh, we get a huge power spike as soon as we get Urshock, and that, while the range is short, is incredible for mob tagging, as well as just being tremendous for damage. Uh, on top of that, like, it's a torrent too, like, you gain a lot of power through melee weapons, um, just because your base strength stat is just genuinely increased, as well as the fact that there's just a ton of mobs for your picking, like, once you're out of the early 1-6 to six leveling area as a torrent, so it's pretty smooth sailing once you can really break out of that um, initial curve now is this something with the shaman as you explain obviously earth shock comes into effect and you feel that that helps a lot do you feel that this is something that is unique to a low level race like a 1 to 15 because the the hunter class which people would stereotypically associate with you know being that great mad dasher to level caps are somewhat hindered obviously people talk about oh hunter 1 to 10 is just a blur you know it's such a a grind if you will because you don't have your pet there and do you think that basically that handicap on the hunters is perhaps the one reason that you could do this and and you know hunters catch up in later levels or would you be confident in shaman even going forward beyond 15 I can't say that I'm confident in Hunter or no, no, sorry, Shaman going beyond fifteen. Um, I definitely do agree that Hunter is kinda weak one to ten, especially without the pet. Their mob tagging power is pretty good, but Shaman just comparatively can not only just mob tag uh better than most other classes, but they can destroy mobs better than most other classes very early on. We get Rockbiter, we have um Urshock, our genuine melee swings are just strong enough to like beat down mobs in a very quick manner um especially if you have a good weapon path you can pretty much outpace most classes if you do the path properly uh early on from 1 to 15 beyond that it can be difficult it's not impossible and it's kind of hard to say but shaman especially mages too mages were my money runner so keeping that in mind but yeah shaman definitely is strong early on now, I presume, obviously, in such a short race that the person who came in second place couldn't have been that far behind you. Do you happen to know how much you, you know, how much time you won the race by? And then I'll ask, feeding into that, tell us about any scary moments you might have had where you thought you might have been killed or have it all come unstuck. I actually was keeping a little bit of an eye on 
two people that were very close neck and neck behind me. Um, this other mage, actually two mages in Silver Pine Forest were leveling quite fast. And in fact, two of them beat me to level 14, which did have me a little bit like scared. But I had faith in my path and it carried me over. Um, it was only one narrowly by like maybe five minutes. I did not die at all in this run. If I had a mistake or a death, I feel like that would have like ruined my opportunity of like succeeding here. Um, and I definitely did have some scares along the way. In the Barrens, there is a Quillbore quest that most players usually go and do. Unfortunately, though, when you're very far ahead of the pack, the mob density is cranked up because no one is there competing with you with like mob tags. Um, so it makes like some of those interactions a little interesting because you're gonna have like mobs all over you and like yeah you're gonna have to like figure out how to properly pull things and not die unfortunately while i was kiting some mobs around the world with me um i definitely had some like near-death moments where i had like maybe seven hp left because i accidentally pulled like a ranged mob that just wouldn't stop shooting arrows at me (laughs) and (laughs) that must have been stressful Yeah, I was like, the life is flashing before my eyes. I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I screaming at the monitor. Pretty much. Not not scream, but fair enough. Fair fair to panic. Fair enough. Now, I mean, it's interesting to say, obviously, you've developed your own, um, you know, leveling routes and things like that and the way in which you do things. You know, people talk about the guides that are out there. We've interviewed Joanna before on the show. He's talked about his way of doing things. I've interviewed uh, Alenia, an Australian speedrunner on the show, and and she's talked about uh, the guide that she's developed. Now, you've done your own thing as well. Out of interest, the way in which you did this on the stress test, were you finding it was mostly grinding with a few quests thrown in? Were you doing more quests than people would think? How did you mix it up? Yeah, you genuinely just do that. You mix it up. We did calculations on the quest turn in XP, for example, to like kind of verify like how many mods per level I would probably need to do. Um, 10 to 12, for sure, with my route, I do grind. I just pure and simply grind. Um, again, everything is kind of dependent on like weapon pathing and stuff. I go to Crossroads at level 10. I get this item called the Cauldron Stir. It's a very strong like staff for me. It's very good for me to just pick it up and take it with me and just uh, grind some really low armor HP mobs near Thunder Bluff. Um, but yeah, that can like change depending on how my pathing and stuff is going. It's just an intermittent mix of questing and grinding. All right. Now, let's say hypothetically you changed the level cap and it was something like a 1 to 20 race. Would that still have you picking Shaman or do you think that would be enough to make you change your choice? 1 to 20, I'd probably still go Shaman. I have some tricks on my sleeve. I feel like if they did that (laughs) and probably succeed again, we'll see. I'd made a lot of mistakes actually in my route, so I wasn't even certain I was going to um, win that race, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So... It was a pleasant surprise. Okay. Well, what would be the level that you think would break your plans for Shaman that you'd have to say, okay, goodbye, old friend. I've got to go with perhaps a Hunter or another class. That's kind of hard to say. Um, Because 20, we get Ghost Wolf, so that kind of increases our leveling potential further. But other classes kind of spike after 20 as well. So I think anything beyond 20 would change me. But like 1 to 20, 
certainly feel like Shaman would be fine. Okay. Even then, like, they can still compete with, like, a good partner, like, going up to 60. Okay. Now, plans for Classic. You've talked about your love for speedrunning. We've talked about speedrunning before on the show. There's a lot of people that are very interested in this facet of the game. Are you, as you said, you, you going for world number one? What class are you going to roll? What are your plans? How are you going to tackle it? Um, so we are actually playing in Sony's guild. So with that in mind, we are trying to get to one to 60 in a week so we can clear Molten Core as well in the same lockout. We'll see if we can get 40 people to do it. I hope we can. Um, but our goals for there is to just kind of get there for the first week at least. And then, yeah, um, my partner is someone competing for the world first 60. Since I'm duoing with someone, my initial goal is to be like the first healer to 60, which I think would be really cool, as well as just being the first duo pair to get the 60. Okay, so are you rolling Shaman in Classic? Yes, I am. Sorry, okay, I should have clarified. <laughs> fantastic. No, I've got you. Excellent. Well, I mean, I wish you nothing but the best of luck in, in that chase. And, and we've heard on the show as well from Onslaught, the guild that's doing the same thing that uh, Sony's guild is planning on doing in terms of getting a raid's worth of people to 60 within that first week and trying to take down Ragnaros uh, a week after launch, which is obviously very ambitious and we'll all be very interested in watching and cheering you guys on and seeing if that's something that can be done. But look, Artemis, thanks so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you talking about this and, uh, you know, it's something that we're more than happy to continue to touch on in terms of speed leveling. And, um, and everyone, please do go and check out Artemis's stuff over at Twitch. You can find her at Artemis Howl. That's A-R-T-E-M-I-S-H-O-W-L. And also over at Twitter, where you'll find her at Artemis Howl, spelled the same way with an underscore at the end. We'll have to check back in with you after launch and see how you went with the experience. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it really was cool to be invited along. Hi everyone, Josh here. I just want to take a quick moment to remind you that while Countdown to Classic will always be a podcast you can get for free, if you do happen to really enjoy the show and find yourself always coming back for more, then please do check out the show's Patreon page to see how you can help keep the lights on at Countdown to Classic and even vote on show content as the show continues to bring you more and more classic wow goodness. Alternatively, if monthly subscriptions aren't your thing, you can always visit the show's tip jar over at Ko-Fi with that link being in the show notes and on the website too. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, it's time for another Countdown to Classic John Stat special, and I'm so happy to welcome back yet again the author of The Wow Diary, John Stats. How are you? Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Such a pleasure to have you back, mate. And uh, we're sitting down for our second session now of, of a few that we've got planned. And uh, obviously, we are talking everything and anything with the making of uh, Vanilla Wow Dungeons. And we've got a few instances that we've been wanting to talk about. I reached out to the patrons this week and I said, hey, guys, which ones would you like to hear John talk about? And they took a vote and we came back with today's um, particular subject matter of Scholomance and also Wailing Caverns. So following on from there, I'll hit them up with another vote later on and see what dungeons they'd like touched on next. I've got a funny feeling that Karazhan 
Dan is coming next, but we'll see how we go. Now, um, we've got some other people on the line now as well, and I want to welcome... As always, I'm absolutely flogging you like a dead horse. Ale, how are you, mate? Uh, I'm pretty beaten up, but uh, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good stuff. Very good. I'm so happy to have you here. And Deacon Blue, first-time caller, thanks for being here, mate. Oh, man, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. It's it's my pleasure to have you. I'm always happy to have people who obviously put their hands up to be on the show. And I put something out there in the Discord and say, hey, guys, just yell out which dungeon you'd like to talk to John about. And Deacon, you were one of the people that nominated Scholomance, so that's fantastic. I had a few people actually reach out about Scholomance, but they some of them weren't available at this time. And luckily, Ale jumped in at the last second to save my bacon a little bit. But... Um, this is why it's so important to have both yourself, Deacon, and Ale in on this call with John, because as I've alluded to earlier on the show with these calls, guess what, guys? Are you ready to hear something you better be sitting down for? I have never, ever run Scholomance. I yes. Yeah, I know. I'm not happy about that. It's the one that I completely skipped over. I had no reason to go there, rushing through to BC content, basically, because as you guys know, I only dinged 60 about three or four weeks before BC came out. And Scholomance was one that I completely bypassed. And I want to right those wrongs when Classic comes around, because it sounds like this is probably going to be the one that I enjoy the most, because it's got a vibe that is right <laughs> oh. up my alley. Now... You guys, thankfully, have run it a thousand times. Ale, you mentioned to me that you know this one like the back of your hand. But anyway, before we get there, real quick, as we mentioned, John, the author of The Wow Diary, available for purchase now over at Amazon, and I'll have a link in the show notes there for everyone. Ale, you've read that book multiple times, you just told me, and you said you might have a question for John that flows out of what you've read from the book. Yeah, I do. And it was kind of the order in, in which it was created. Uh, you talked about how you jumped into creating Skullmats after the micro dungeons, uh, but you had designed some assets for RFK. So I was wondering, uh, kind of at what point in the timeline did you start designing Skullmats? Well, uh, Skullmats was actually just, we for the longest time, we called it the, uh, what was it, the we called it the human uh, keep dungeon. Okay. We had an asset that was the human style keep. And we'd used it a couple times in the game. I think I can't remember if it was in uh, Elwyn, but we'd used it a couple times in the game. And so they knew that I loved making crypts. It was just something that I had. Uh, it's, it's an easy genre to work in. You know, the macabre, we had a lot of, art assets with the spider webs and the skulls and the bones that we had had left over. So we just started making a keep dungeon and it just turned into a crypt because obviously it's a very easy way to build down. You're not limited to uh, size. It's always easier to do something underground because you can just wind your way around. You don't have to worry about rooms poking out of the, you know, being too not too cramped whenever you're going up you're kind of cramped uh unless you're going to have this gigantic building so uh it just got bigger and bigger and the game designers when i finally finished this 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 micro dungeon 
I was just having so much fun with it. They said, oh my gosh, we should just turn this into an instance. Give us a couple more rooms and we can actually see if we can get an instance out of this. And that's that's really only that's the thought that they put into it and okay i'll give you a couple more rooms and you know it, there was so much flavor i think in, in in uh the crypt type of tile set i, I guess i'll use the word tile set but that genre of uh, bones and, and coffins and skeletons it's a very very easy way to make really cool content so it's that's pretty much what how it came about all right, very good. Now, as we've mentioned, people, if you'd like to hear more of John's stories about the making of World of Warcraft and some of the design choices that went into the game, you can find the WoW Diary online available for purchase now. Now, John, let's get straight into it and let's extrapolate a bit more on Scholomance. Now, I, uh, you know, as I said, these two fine gentlemen are here to help me out, but I've got my uh, tabs open in front of me to help me out with a bit of information as well. But these guys are going to do the heavy lifting as well. I'll be, <laughs> I'll be here to direct traffic. But John, as you know, I'll start you out nice and general. Scholomance, were you happy? Oh, I was happy, but other people were not. Uh, <laughs> I, it, the designers were happy with it at first it had its ups and downs in, in its development cycle i actually i thought it was so interesting uh he, just knowing the different takes from the team from the different departments that i wrote a promotional article about it that's not in the wow diary um you can see it on my webpage uh, when it's ready.com i called it uh, bones to pick and there's it's all about how the different departments were not happy with different aspects of the dungeon, including myself actually after it went live and it was played. And uh, yeah, so at the end, well, there's nothing ends, frankly, because you can iterate on it for years and years, literally decades and decades, I suppose. But uh, when it launched and was playable, I wasn't happy with how many spawns were in it. And it fundamentally changed a lot of the philosophy. Uh, my run-ins, uh, I was just butting heads with the designers on a lot of areas that I felt were over-spawned. And so eventually my, my, my considerations, my, my, my philosophy prevailed and they kind of saw things my way when I just kind of showed them. Because they were too busy actually to play the high-end work. So they kind of had to trust the feedback and, you know, when, when so much of the feedback is always conflicting, half the people love it, half the people hate it, regardless of what it is. So it's so hard to, because each camp is, oh, it's obviously good or it's obviously bad. You know, it's, it's, it's very hard after working in games long enough, every game designer <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. So that's kind of. You know, so yes, eventually after everything got done, then yes, of course, I was happy, but uh, it was not an easy dungeon to actually do. What were some of the other main gripes that came up from the other departments? And do you remember, I mean, when we talk about, you know, issues that people have with some of the work that you or, your, or others might be putting into the game, 
when you're sitting around talking about, you know, I don't like this with Scholar Mans, blah, 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 does it get heated or, you know, how does it go? Do you recall? Yeah, yeah. Things get hated. A lot of things, not just Scholar Mans. This happened plenty of times in the game where uh, usually it was the exterior level designers putting too many objects in an area to pull off one of their... I don't know. Uh, if, you know, if somebody has the idea for, oh, geez, I don't know. Uh, what, what's this, this? An area like the Barrens, uh, not Barrens. What's the crossroads? Is it the crossroads? Is yep. that what it's yep. called? Yeah, okay. I'm thinking, boy, what's the crossroads called? What's the crossroads <laughs> called? <laughs> okay, so yeah, like things like the crossroads when there's too many props placed. Uh, we call them doodads when there's too many props as in bones, rocks, uh, fences, uh, pumpkins, pails, everything that decorates the landscape. Mm. When the exterior level designers would place too many items, it would slow down mm. uh, the, the frame rate, which would piss off all the programmers. Their job is to make the game run smoothly. Okay. And so, Part of game development is that you are working together on a project, but your interests are often at odds with one another. Mm. You know, artists just want it to look good. That's all they care about. They don't care about the gameplay. They don't care about the frame rate. Programmers don't care about the gameplay. They don't care about the look. They want to make sure that they're, you know. So that's kind of like where the producers come in. They're kind of the grease between the different departments trying to make everybody happy. And sometimes when things don't go your way uh yeah there's a lot of uh you know each department gets there in, in their little sewing circle so they, you know <laughs> they get uh they start getting a little like a uh, little uh uh snarky with each, with, with each other all so. right all right mate well look uh guys i've got one last question then i'm going to hand over to you two gentlemen but john in terms of the external and the internal design and the general look and feel that you were going for with Scholomance. Now, we know the law, School of Necromancy, all that jazz. People have heard about it on Countdown to Classic as well, the exact story of Scholomance. Tell me what you were going for, if there were any real-world influences inputted here. Um, you know, I think things like... Uh, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula or just, you know, kind of vampiric uh, vibes overall, you know, very dark, gothic, all of that jazz. Tell us what was going through your mind. Well, uh, I was actually, it wasn't anything that specific. Uh, talk about limited texture sets. Our original texture set was made from a prop of a crypt. And the interesting thing about <laughs> our props is that the early stuff, and this was before we realized that we needed to do our, we call them WMOs, World Map Object, is a uh, anything you walk into, an inn, like the human inn or a dungeon or a castle or a cave. Uh, anything that you can walk across has to have pathing data. And so you're building it slightly different. Uh, and we had before we had that technology, uh, we had a lot of props that were just, we were testing. Okay. And when I mean a prop, like a tree would be a prop. Uh, we made actually one of the artists very early on made a dungeon 
that was not even a dungeon. It was a one-room crypt. And they were just seeing how long does it take, how many textures does it take. And this is before any level design. This is before I joined the team. So they didn't realize, like, a lot of people... <laughs> one of the funny things that the team one guys, when they tried to help out with team two, team two, by the way, team one, they were working on Warcraft three. So the artists there working in 3ds max didn't need, some of them senior, uh, senior artists didn't, didn't even realize that a texture could tile because they work in such tiny little objects. There's no reason to have a tiling texture, like a brick texture would be a tiled texture. So, the dex the textures weren't painted to tile. They didn't actually uh, when if you had a brick wall, you would see the seam as the texture went from left budding up to the right side of the same texture. So uh, those were the textures I was actually working in. They're actually you've never seen them. Um, we tightened them up after Skullaments uh, got reworked. Um, when when I first worked on it. It was just a crypt. There was no concept as whether it's a high gothic. I think I did this before the Undercity. Actually, no, this was done after the Undercity. Uh, but the Undercity had its, it had its own texture set. So I'm working with maybe six or eight textures. And you can't really do a lot of uh, concept stuff terribly easy with that. So... It, to answer your question, there really wasn't um, a, 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 a strong vibe that, oh, we're definitely going with um, this type of crypt or that type of crypt. Uh, we knew it was a school of necromancy. Um, that was the only idea. That was the only concept mm. for it. Right. So, uh, Unlike yeah. all the caves that you visited that gave birth to something that you did with, like, whaling caverns, you didn't have a favorite crypt in real life that you modeled this one? No. Well, well, honestly, the inspiration was how the success that we had in um, – oh, geez, I want to call it Sleepy Hollow. That's wrong. Uh, uh, what's – Jeez, what's below Elwind? I'm having a complete break. Oh, Duskwood. Darkshire. Duskward. Yeah, that's right. Duskwood. Duskwood, yeah. Okay. Uh, we had such a success. I did all the crypts with Duskwood, and I had just a lot of fun making those. I had my the two – the most proud thing was that secret passage between the crypts. I thought that was kind of cool to do. No one oh, ever yeah. thought I completely faked that, but the uh, – just – how fast those happen. Like when you have an idea of what to build, it, it can really just flow and it's just a mm. joy to work on. And I had apparently more in me. Um, I'd even done all the crypts in Karazhan uh, before WoW shipped, but none of those actually got uh, seen, saw the light of day. They were, they were unfinished uh, micro dungeons anyway, but I had just a lot of ideas for it. So they were just, it's it's flexible when you have crypts. Crypts don't have to support life. Uh, they can be uh, monumental. They can be uh, very uh, rudimentary. They can be super decorative, and they're just easy. It's easy architecture to work with because it's just a flexible 
type of genre. Too easy. All right, Ale, I'll get you to kick off as the veteran and then uh, lead the way for Deacon here. But if we can walk John through the, obviously, the geography of the place, perhaps starting from where we, um, you know, one of the first few areas where you walk in or one of the first areas of note of Scholomance. Ale, I'll hand it over to you. Go for it, mate. Uh, yeah, so I starting right at the beginning, the uh, the entrance actually, it's one of the dungeons early or like late on that requires like kind of an attunement to get a key to actually get through the door um what kind of decisions did, did like i guess you weren't part of those decisions but like what kind of decisions were in part that the team had to have you know keys for certain dungeons or things like this was it meant to be kind of uh harder to get to or did you just want players to have you know that extra bit of oomph to get in there yeah, they. I think it was just just born on the wings of experimentation. Uh, we were trying different things to see if they would be popular, to see if they worked. Um, when when the quest designers had such a powerful tool to 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 build any type of quest that you know, like the, it was amazing. Like no one had done any quests that were even remotely like wow before wow. There really wasn't any precedent with that much of flexibility with the different types of ways, the little mini games and each quest designer, the way they work is they, they want to, they don't want to redo any game mechanic that's been done before. So it was probably the most inventive part of game development is that they were not dependent on any other department they really didn't report to anybody. I mean, as long as uh, Carlos uh, Carlos Guerrero was the uh, producer in charge of content. And what that means is the exterior levels, the interior levels, and the quests. And between dungeons and zones getting done and quested and built on time, that was so much harder than quests that he just let the quest designers do what, what, what they wanted because he didn't care as long as they hit their numbers on quests per zone. And, you know, some of the people who came up to, from QA, they, 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 they were working uh, on quests and, you know, that was their first job in development. And they couldn't believe that there was almost no supervision whatsoever. You know, as long as you got the names that fit inside of World of Warcraft, Metzen was happy with them, you know, and, you know, as long as you were a fairly good writer, you you could uh, get the, the, the quest text and the flavor together. But it's that mentality, basically, that just spills over throughout everything. It goes through anima- animation, through uh, the, the design of uh, spells, you know, Everybody wants to say that I've invented this new type of, you know, design space. And that's why things like the keys happen. Uh, it's, it hadn't really been done before. Uh, we hadn't really tied it to quests. And it was just, I don't know, that it, it's just an organic thing. It was completely probably just two people said, hey, let's try this. Check with Jeff. Oh, Jeff says, yeah, that's, yeah, we could do that. That, that, that's reasonable at a high level and that that's really that's maybe that's all the thought that goes into something like that maybe someone did a walk by like you used to do yeah yeah or or you know they just thought of oh we can use this unlocking mechanic for but it, it's amazing that it's just got 
like when you look when you think of world of warcraft the entrance is so uh you would never expect that this is an instance dungeon that you're walking down into. And it's because it never started as an instance dungeon. It was just supposed to be an expansion to the human keep. So that's kind of why the entrance is just so, eh, you know. (laughs) Sorry, John. And a lot of artists were really objecting to that. Uh, Like this developed without anybody knowing on the art team. It was just... Uh, me and a, a level designer and a bunch of game designers and the artists saw it and they saw the seams, they saw the the, the crummy textures, the, the outdated textures and they were pretty unhappy with wow. what we had made and then what you saw was after they, like, they crunched for like two weeks. It was like the first time in ever that they've been working till midnight on anything that inspired them. So, um, a lot of the, uh, the, the the props, like a lot of the flavor that you get from the books and the bookshelves and the chandeliers, the gothic spiderweb candelabras, none of that was in the first pass of uh, Skullamance. No one had actually had that idea to put that in the dungeon. Uh, I certainly didn't. That's completely from the art team. So... Deacon, I'll get you to fire up your question, but sorry, John, you cut out real quick just when you said um, it wasn't an instance dungeon. It was an extension to something keep. Uh, it was an extension of just the human keep. Okay. That's, that's basically what it was. We had this repeating building that we have, like the inn, we would call the human inn to differentiate from the other races, of course, okay. because there's a dwarven inn, there's a, you know, all. So that was just the human keep, you know, even though the other races didn't have keeps. Perfect. I could say that the undead did have a keep. Perfect. Deacon, go for it. Uh, yeah, that segues perfect to what I was wanting to ask, um, especially, Josh, when you asked us to kind of walk through. Um, first off, <laughs> uh, how many times does just kind of your random doodles in game get to be a dungeon that's that's pretty cool if you really think about it maybe that's why there was some flack maybe people were just jealous or something <laughs> but um in retrospect i was i was thinking about all the different dungeons that are in the game and you kind of um you said earlier that one of the things you didn't like about the instance was that there was a lot of spawns and one of the things that i was thinking about is this instance in in my memory um, in old Skullamance, before it was revamped, was one of the dungeons that really made or break a good group. Like, not to say oh, the yeah. other dungeons were easy or anything. Oh yeah. But um, right. this th- this dungeon really set the precedent to okay, is this just a bunch of you know randoms that can kind of you know stagger through a dungeon, or is this a good group? And I cannot tell you how many times I wiped in that first room to the left or the right of those staircases when you first walk in, like because like you said all the spawns there's so many spawns but you know with the exception of maybe um what was it lower black rock spire yes lower black rock spire which was like a 55 to 60 instance um i don't really count that one but this instance was one of the first ones where you had to go slow right you yes. had to take your time you had yes. to you couldn't just face roll through it and um i was i was just thinking you know all the other dungeons they're kind of um they're kind of a static hallway, you know, where everything's kind of spaced out, but, you know, you know, you can kind of aggro things. I'm thinking of Scarlet Monastery, I guess, would be maybe another one that's that's kind of tight, but Skullmance was tight. 
really, yeah. really tight. And, you know, don't, don't knock yourself for that uh, for having all those spawns because I, I love that because that made it challenging. That made it hard because you had to, you know, you had to crowd control really well. You had to pull really well. The tank really had to know what he was doing. He could just run in and whack something. Um, so that's, that's a really cool thing about this instance that I loved was that it was, it, it was tough and it, it stayed in the, and the rooms were tight all the way into like the very end, like all the different cribs and stuff. Yeah, that's that's a lot more perceptive than I think you even realize because the Scarlet Monastery was perceived at the very end. Actually, not even at the very end. Um, uh, it was the very last. Well, we, we had played it earlier, but we just didn't realize that that was a good idea to have different wings to a dungeon. Uh, we hadn't done that before. And the concept of having a small dungeon was unheard of. I think the only reason that Scarlet Monastery was so small was that uh, I, I, I actually I don't think people like the designers, if they were looking at it closer, I think they probably would have asked Aaron to make it bigger. But because it was a low level dungeon, and then it, you could do it in thirds. Uh, it really showed people that it was kind of fun to do a short dungeon. Like people enjoyed doing uh, just like a one hour, you know, two hour thing. So they, the, the goal with skull mats, and, and that was one of the things when Jeff said skull mats, yeah, let's, let's, let's do a smaller dungeon at high level. And I did a small dungeon. It was high level. And, they overspawned it and it took six hours to clear. I, I, <laughs> this was after the game had launched, months after it had launched. I was reading articles about Skullamance, and this is, you know, the how to of how to do Skullamance, and it was six hours for a full clear. And I was thinking, Jesus, we were trying to make a small dungeon, and what they did is they added so many spawns. Uh, that and and again, when it was spawned, it was done by a different uh, uh, designer, different department. They really hadn't played like high level, um, like uh, gameplay. So when it when it does take six hours for I, like you could probably do it in four to just get to the final boss to see if that stupid uh, rod for yeah. the mages dropped. But the uh, the, the it was not meant to actually be a super crazy dungeon. And I think because it's the only dungeon that's small, people are used to moving forward. You know, walking forward is a, it's a, it's a very tactile, very tangible sign of progress when the scenery changes and when it doesn't change, when the, when, when it's about, okay, well, we're going to send the tank into that room. He's going to pull one monster. You guys have been out here for a half hour. Just stay in this room. The tank will pull something. Mm -hmm. That's not as fun as moving forward. You know, it doesn't crap. It doesn't grab the imagination as, you know, pushing into the enemy's domain. You know, that's what you get with Blackrock Depths. You know, you're always moving forward in Blackrock Depths. So I think a lot of players got frustrated, and that's where just subconsciously you accidentally get a lot of uh, aggro pulls and wipes, especially. Um, it's also 
very it's in that in fact i will say it is impossible to get through that dungeon without a priest which i think is a flaw uh we, we i don't think it's um i think there's the you needed chains uh to root oh, one yeah. of the skeletons yeah. in one of the bosses and we had done that over and over with very good players and just i don't think the assets were on the like i don't think the spells were there so you had to have a priest to get past this one room so uh Josh, it'll be interesting if you actually like this dungeon, <laughs> uh, depending on, I mean, a lot of people have, you know, they're looking at WoW Classic with the rose-colored glasses, and, you know, uh, when the level cap, uh, I don't know, what's the level cap now? What are we playing to? Uh, well, in Classic, it'll be 60, or... yeah. Yeah, well, no, on Classic, but, like, right now. Oh, right now, it's, it's uh, what is it, 120? No, 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 no on, on the beta, not on retail. 40. On the beta, oh, it's sorry, 40. On the beta, okay, yeah. yeah, they're still on 40. Now, when you get to 60, okay, and players are like one of my friends, uh, he's a he's a very good raider. He's he he's saying, you know, Ragnaros, we talked about uh we're off we're off in the weeds now a little bit, but last week we talked about uh molten core. There are some very simple fights in the Molten Core. Now, simple in the terms of aggro management, but the mechanics uh, that they have now on retail, it's it's night and day. Like it, it's a very different game. And he doesn't even remember aggro control. So he's looking at Molten Core. Oh, it's got to be so easy to get past this stuff. And yeah, it's because you, you don't have aggro management in retail today. So It'll be really interesting to see how fast people are able to do these dungeons. I'll definitely, uh, I'll see how I go, Sean, at, for sure, and if right. I like it. But Especially Skullman. Yeah, I've seen, I mean, I've seen videos. So, I mean, I've tried not to watch too much because I don't want to spoil it for myself, but I've seen videos ah. and been like, that looks interesting. But as we talk about those areas that, you know, you designed as well as I watch those videos and you see places like, and I know you've said that Metzen went off and named these places after you designed them. So, some of these names might be foreign to you, but we talk about the reliquary, the chamber of summoning, the viewing room, the headmaster's study. Um, Ale, I'll throw it over to you and sort of um, ask you, Ale, if you have anything for John in relation to any of those rooms in particular that stood out to you. Was there a favorite area that, that you would go to in Scholomance? Uh, I, I kind of wanted to ask uh, about kind of a theme I noticed I don't know if it's uh, just from your your dungeon design, or but or what. But I noticed that in a lot of dungeons that uh, you've designed, there's areas where you can either see outside the world or see further in the dungeon, oh, yeah. kind of like a sneak peek. And inside Skullmance, there's multiple areas. So, like in the first uh, first room after you go down the stairs, you can actually see down into a room filled with zombies. And then on the first boss to the right, uh, Kurt notes the Herald. Um, you can actually see outside into the plague lands. Uh, I, I was just wondering, is this kind of like one of your signatures for design, or? Yeah, it, it. I I really believe that when you just totally separate the interior from the exterior, that is just it, I, it's easy to do in a, in a technical standpoint, from a production standpoint, but and it's, it's actually very tough to do. Like Karazhan to me, I think works because you're going inside and out this, the, the illusion of you going 
inside and out of this tower. The tower just remains in your brain. Like you're, you're constantly reminded that you're in a tower uh, as opposed to something like Black Rock Spire. Black Rock Spire, you don't see boo. Like, like the idea of going up in the mountain isn't nearly as strong uh, other than reminding you, hey, you know, you're looking over, you know, now you're looking down off of a balcony of uh, 50 feet, 500 feet, 5,000 feet or whatever. I think it's 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 something that I always strove for, and I wasn't not my uh, Aaron Keller was the one um, who did his first dungeon was the oh geez Shadowfang, and uh, I was always jealous that he got to do the only castle in the world because it was one that, that was one thing that always stuck in my craw that we're doing World of Warcraft and there's only one castle in the entire game that was shadow <laughs> and he got to do it that was his first dungeon and the, 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 there was so much fight between the producers worrying about hey to when you go on the dungeon tab you have to duplicate the entire outside world if you're going to have people on the battlements okay because when you're on the battlements in Shadowfang, you're actually not looking over the outside world. You're looking at a copy of the outside world on the dungeon tab. So it takes a lot of extra work, and there's a lot of hand wringing going, oh, are we digging ourselves into, you know, are we painting ourselves into a corner by, by trying to do all this? And you have to have level designers who are adamant that, yeah, this is, this, this feeds into the fantasy. It anchors you in the world so that your dungeon is part of the world and not just some parallel dimension that, you know, you never see crossover between one and the other. So uh, Aaron felt the same way. And thank God we proved this technically that it could be done with Shadowfang once in Shadowfang. Luckily was one of the first uh, dungeons that we had played. So, we, we we had a lot of problems actually with dead mines. Dead dead mines were the very first dungeon, and I talked about uh, how Dana was just sick of the. Uh, originally, it was the 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 ogre juggernaut was was sitting offshore uh, of uh, Westfall. So putting it in the cave was just the only way we could actually stop players from jumping into the water and trying to swim up and down the coast of Westfall. There was, there's just no elegant way to do it. But when you can, that's kind of like looking out the window. Uh, it's, it kind of doesn't even really belong there. Uh, but the idea of looking out and seeing the ocean and seeing this, this giant bath thing, it just reminds you, Oh yeah, yeah. You're, you're in the, uh, the playlands, you know, you're still in the world. And I think I agree with you. I think it's very important to do that as a level designer. Deacon, I'll throw it back to you. Uh, yeah, that's, that was something that I was going to ask too. That ale was that that balcony was uh, really cool because it really immersed you into where you were at, and with the exception of you know entering the Western Plaguelands for the first time and seeing you know a few zombies and um, the plagued animals and everything like that, Skolomance felt like to me that very first instance 
that was really, really dark. Like, and I'm not, you know, lighting dark, but, you know, like right. mood dark. Um, right. We had Shadowfin Keep, like you mentioned earlier, which is which is definitely pretty spooky. But this one is different. I mean, there's piles of bones everywhere. Yeah. There's these creepy tattooed cultists that are pulling out these zombies from the, undeath. The creepy are, paintings uh, as well. Yes, the paintings. <laughs> yeah. and, and so, like, when you, when you are in Skullamance, you're like, you're truly in this this place of the damned, you know. It, it really pulls you in. The music's, you know, super creepy, um, and then it, it's it's one of the it's very immersive, um, very very immersive. And I always enjoyed that part about Skullamance because um, not only <laughs> is it taking six hours <laughs> to complete, it, but you're you're you. You're, it's like a bad dream that you're having to get right. through. You know, there's just yeah. you know crypts falling out of the wall, skeletons. You know, these. <laughs> yeah. it, it's yeah. really really cool, and I think um, I think my uh, favorite room would probably be the very um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's where there's like a it's like the very bottom, and I think the there's like a female. A caster down there and there's it's in i can't remember the name of it it, it escapes me but it that one that one's just like you know the creepiness Jan has peaked thank you that's it that's it um it was it was just awesome that's just an awesome awesome room and then of course the very end when you face the lich is just is just awesome um yeah john just before you answer or we have a response to that one i would sort of just throw in this little extra one to kick you off is was one of the goals kind of to try and instill a bit of fear or scare the players through the design, whether you make it feel constrictive or just through what you place by way of objects? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, we had a few more objects. Honestly, I'm going to backtrack a little bit on one of the answers that I gave where I was just rocking and rolling with uh, Crips. I would say if there was any inspiration, it would probably be uh, Tracy Hickman's Raven Ravenloft, which was a advanced Dungeons and Dragons module that was my favorite um, map and favorite module, and it was Ravenloft Castle, which was this Strahd von Zarovich was this epic uh, vampire that in this uh, Dungeons and Dragons um, uh, world where his castle was basically the coolest freaking thing in, in the world. And they had a lot of flooded rooms. And I remember seeing how scary, like, like the idea of not seeing the floor, uh, even if it's ankle deep water, it's very unsettling. And so I think that the the scope of it being small is claustrophobic and that psychologically uh uh has an effect on you that the, the, you for sure you are less comfortable and and this is actually dovetails into just outer zones the greener zones are the the more enjoyable zones they're the more beautiful zones humans respond to the color green as an environmental color uh as an I guess we see more shades of green than any other color. Uh, we're just designed for the color green. Skullmance has no colors, right? I mean, it's it's very very unworld of Warcraft. Like we made a conscious effort to stay on the color palette and not actually do grays and blacks in a lot of our areas. And this just was really skewed. Um, even and I and I think that's why 
the uh, Razor Fen, Razor Fen, uh, Shadow Fang uh, Keep, and oh geez, what is the uh, the city on fire? Oh geez, Stratholme. Um, Stratholme. These are much bigger areas, and people are just generally, you know, you have a feeling that you can retreat. It's it's just it's a more comfortable oh, yeah. space. Scalamance uh, was lack of color. Uh, it's it's creepy, you know, bone piles, dirt crypts, uh, the the flooded rooms. It, it's just a lot of it works, and you know, I, yeah, trying to scare it players is always great i mean that that's that's when you can get an emotional reaction of any kind out of players uh yeah you go for it because that's that that's that's immersive all right that's why i think oh, oh no you go for it mate oh yeah i was just gonna say you know it's like a strange pet peeve of mine when when player i see like other players or something and they're like playing some of these awesome zones and they just got like you know, crazy dubstep music in the background. And I'm kind of like, oh man, you're missing half the experience. You know, it's like, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like when I, I mean, it's not like I get too serious, but you know, when I, when I do those really, really fun instances or zones, you know, I like to, I like to turn on the music. I like to turn up the volume a little bit more and like yeah. really get into it because it makes it more fun. You know, that's the part of video games is not just, okay, let's hit this pixel and get this purple pixel. No, man, it's, it's about that immersion. And that's what makes and what made WoW so good at the time and still makes it good. And we still crave that immersion, you know, that that creepiness. And I have to slightly disagree with you a little bit on it feels 100% like World of Warcraft to me. It's just, oh, and I guess yeah. it meant from a color scheme. Yeah, um, just not a color scheme. You know? Oh, no, no, no. It, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I, I know what you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, like, but, it feels uh, like peak, peak spooky um, World of Warcraft, sure. in my opinion, because, you yeah. know, you get a little taste of it and... Um, uh, Duskwood, you get a little taste of it here and there, and all these different crypts, uh, like in West uh, Wetlands. You know, you just look here and there, here and there, and then you get here, and this is like, you know, the epic grave. <laughs> yeah, in hours and hours and hours of it, in uninterrupted hours, because you know, like it's it's just a uh, you're you're not chatting with your guildies if you're doing uh the oh, no. uh skull bits. you know you can you can chat with your guildies if you're in you know the what anywhere on the exterior but yeah your 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 mind is on the uh your eyes on the ball as far as uh uh, uh, <laughs> uh gameplay goes and actually another thing that you guys mentioned about the way the names were uh created the when we make a dungeon, we do placeholder names and placeholder names are good because like if it's something inappropriate, uh, it, the placeholder names, when it gets compiled and put into the game, these names then show up on a list somewhere and then Metzen will be, he'll receive these uh, areas in the world and he can just rename them a lot of these like the uh, reliquary and i think my favorite room was the ossuary uh some of these oh yeah actually were just they were good i i had ideas for oh yeah yeah we could just call this the ossuary you know and Metz was like yeah that's fine you know we could call it that you know uh, but it's kind of like 
some of the, the I can't even remember. I'm I'm looking at a map right now as we're talking. I'm going, oh yeah, I remember. I named that room. Oh yeah, I remember. You know, but most of this obviously was definitely Metzen and, and you know following his thing. But the little uh, the, some of the crumbs I get, hmm. I get to you know throw in there. Well, John, in mentioning that the ossuary is your favorite, and you know that's for instance uh, where like Rattlegore can be found. Tell us why. What was it about that area that made it so appealing to you? Uh, it's just, I like the, um, oh, let's see. There, there's an architectural feature called light wells and light wells are, if you don't have a horizontal, if you can't puncture the wall horizontally to get, uh, light and make a window, uh, a light well is you, it's basically, it's, it's, it's like a chimney that goes up to the ceiling where some light gets down. That's kind of the idea I had, uh, where, uh, just the idea of being so callous of throwing human bones into a pit. It's just the creepiest thing. I actually did the same thing again in, uh, the, the ziggurat, the, uh, the raid, uh, next uh, Next Ramus, that's right. Again, this I call it the ziggurat, uh, even though like the very last, you know, minute that it's in development, someone names it Next Ramus, right? So for me, it's it's the ziggurat for uh, how many many months, and then oh, someone names it. So, but anyway, the the this idea of just throwing um, bones down a pit is it's so uh it's so there's so so much disregard to human dignity that it's something like that makes you should make you feel uncomfortable and it's got a low ceiling and it's just a you know you could you could do a lot of the stuff or say oh we'll we'll just depend on uh the the artist to give us a lot of props or we'll d- depend on someone else to do you know lots of textures you know the ossuary is probably three textures bone pile texture uh which is hard to paint <laughs> lots mm. of bones but bone pile dirt and you know a wall texture i think we also used for the ceiling but when you can put character into a room with that few assets there's you know i take a lot of pride in you know when when it works sometimes it doesn't always work mm. that's when the art team has to uh, come to come to the assist all right, that, that worked from a gameplay it. perspective as well, because one of the most ominous things about that room is people who hadn't been there before would often fall down those holes, get killed by those those oh, yeah. and skeletons down below, yeah. and they would all <laughs> run up the top and then kill you. So yes. like that was just incredible. Yeah, that uh, again, that's all natural. Oh wow, uh, this could happen. Cool, you know. Here's here's another way that this room has character, you know, that you don't even plan for. When it happens, you get, well, does this break the game? Not really. Uh, So let's keep it in. So. And we'll touch on that in our next call as well, John, because we've got people asking, you know, for instance, in the Wailing Caverns, whether some of those holes or just gaps that you can fall down, whether they're by design or just you guys screwing with the players or anything like that. So it sounds like it's very much so by design, but we'll talk about that one in the Wailing Cabins chat sure, as well. Sure. Um, now, Ale, we'll, we'll hit the home turn here. Uh, Ale, I'll get you and uh, Deacon to ask you your last questions of John. So what's your, your sort of number one one that you're, you're busting out to get to John? Okay, hopefully I don't... Uh 
step on Deacon's toes here, but uh, I have a I have a question about this secret room actually. And did you design this? Are you well? Let's see. Uh, what so secret room? So there's I a uh, there's a uh, there's a lever near Jandis, and if you pull on the lever, it actually opens a secret room, which is right near the. It's in the. It's where like the entry overlooks kind of that pit full of um, ghouls. There's a secret room with a chest in it, actually. And to my knowledge, it's the only place in WoW that has like a secret that kind of rewards items. And I thought because it was like part of the architecture, if potentially you had designed uh, that room. Yeah. Um, actually, I probably just made a little alcove. There's lots of alcoves in uh, my, my, my crypts. Um, I can't even, honestly, I can't even remember it, but I, it sounds vaguely familiar. It was again, an experiment that, Hey, let's see how cool this is. And I think we weren't really able to put anything super cool in that, uh, chest. So like once people saw the, the, the trick, it was something that, you know, I think he, did you have to like clear area in order to get to that? Um, yeah, it was, chest. it was in a room with mobs. You had, you had to clear down to the boss and then pull kind of a lever like you do in SM for the secret yeah, boss yeah. to open that room, but it's not even in the same area. So you didn't even really know that anything happened until you got and cleared into that other area. A lot of people yeah. might not even actually know about this because it is like no. very. You're right. Like, like, and once people realize that, oh, if we got to clear all these monsters just to get, you know, what was there? Probably uh, bandages or something. <laughs> bandages <laughs> are probably food or something because they're afraid. Everyone's, you know, afraid to put anything super good. Uh, I in think it there. actually had a green it, in it. Okay. Yeah. But just like yeah. one. No one goes to Skullman's for greens, right? <laughs> so well, after the green, uh, yeah, once you see the trick, uh, you probably had players saying, no, don't do that. We're not wasting our time with that because, you know, uh, it, it's, you, you know, your your eyes on the prize when you go to Skullman's. So uh, I think that's why we never uh, did that again is because it was just didn't, it wasn't popular as in you, you know you want to it's it's cool to do stuff like that and experiment but if it's not something that you're going to get a lot of bang for the buck then you know it's people are just more disciplined yes it adds flavor yes it adds character but uh it doesn't add really too much gameplay so yeah it's just an experiment yeah all right deacon i'll throw it to you for your last question buddy go for it all right um you may not have had anything to do with it since it was technically outside the instance, but when you come up to the island where the, uh, where the instance is at, um, and it kind of plays into the last thing I was saying about how creepy the whole instance is, you get to this island and there's no one there. There's this castle, there's cities or little buildings, and there's no one there. There's, there's nothing. Yeah. And yeah. the only, only reason you can see, or I'm sorry, the only people that are there you can see is when if you're if you're dead so when you do eventually wipe <laughs> and you run back and if you get curious on your way back the little buildings like the little blacksmith building and the little end building um there's ghosts and you I, I can't remember if you can talk to them or not but that's the only actual npcs there 
And that is that's one of the that was just another thing with that whole instance that just made it even creepier. You come up on it and it's just sure. it's dead. There's nothing there. Did you did you have something to do with that or was that someone else? Oh no, that's that's a hundred percent quest designers, you know, doing something that once you're in uh, the death state, you can turn on different objects in the world that now exist for you since you're in the death state that since you can interact with them uh, it's just them being inventive completely inventive i mean to to be honest i didn't know skullmance was really on an island until after i built it wow really yeah looking at that uh, window i think that was all either probably matt sanders i would guess the exterior level designer um just just like like that was his idea to like yeah let's let's show a little bit of you know outside i don't even think i put that window originally until because uh, i thought the whole thing was under underground okay like but when when i know that a we yeah I, i'm totally in favor of putting any puncturing the walls and showing the exterior whenever you can i just i didn't even know it was on an island. I had no so idea. So when you were just doodling around making the crypt that was chosen to be a dungeon, you didn't even you weren't messing around in the playlands. You were just kind of like off in some nether area, just making oh, crypts. No. There's first of all, there's no reason to be in the playlands because there's no uh, spawns in there. When I'm building the dungeon, it's before anything is placed in the world. It's before anything is. Uh, uh, they just said, "Hey, you do another crypt," and that—that's like, okay, uh, just do another wow. crypt, uh, crypt, but just tack it on to the human keep. And I just open up the file, human keep. It's just this building floating out in the void, you know, in 3ds Max. Yeah. I have no idea where this is in the world. I have no idea where it is. Uh, but I do know that you know we have a lot of bones and we got a lot of things. And I built the whole thing, and then. I, I, I put it into the, the database. I, I log, in, log it into the WoW registry. And weeks or days or months or even maybe years later, people will place it in the world. And I say, oh, that's where that dungeon. Oh, that's where they're using the dungeon. Okay. And then maybe I'll massage it a little to like fit it in better or like borrow things from the exterior. But sometimes, yeah, sometimes you really don't know what your uh what zone you're you're, you're working in uh like i, I want to ask a question about uh raz sure. frost whisper actually because there's some interesting things going on there there's actually an alchemy lab which you could only uh at the beginning make flasks here and oh, so yeah. when you had when you had designed this room it was very much uh you know a place of of alchemy or like it, it feels very trade skill based uh right is that was that your intent for that uh, not even remotely. Like what I will do is I'll, I'll build the, what I did is I built the dungeon. It was bunch, it was a bunch of crypts and I knew that there was a school of necromancy. Um, and everybody rolled their eyes when we actually heard the name Scalamance, like really just shoving the two words together. And that was the name of it. It seemed a little kind of hackneyed to us, but uh, yeah, Skullmance was a name school of necromancy. And uh, then let's see uh, the trade skill, Eric Dodds 
um, he would he would just say, "Oh, this is kind of a cool place to to put a what we, a focus area, so that you can only uh, complete certain recipes in this area if you were within a certain radius of this object." And that was again just Eric Eric experimenting with. Uh, trade skills. Hey, we have the functionality. Let's see if this works. He'd done the same thing with, uh, we, we covered it last week or, or two weeks ago, uh, Blackrock Depths, where there was the, uh, the forge, the heart of the mountain, this, this, this forge that was uh, embedded in a lava flow. So yeah, that's just a completely different, uh, and frankly, the room didn't look nearly as, as uh, decorated because the artists had gone and spent two weeks. And when I mean artists, I, I, there's a probably, I would say, eight people creating props at the very tail end of World of Warcraft. And they did this uh, just because they had ideas of their own. So like, even what you know of the room is it's, it's way more flush with uh, moldy books and cobwebs and candelabras all that stuff happened after um, uh, I had, you know, walked away from it. So it's, it's, it's a lot of this stuff just happens from different departments and organically. So uh, no planning whatsoever. None. Deacon, as we dive deeper into Scholomance, what more for you? I guess one of the questions I was wondering about was – this instance is one of the uh, higher level instances, and when I can't remember, and Ale, you'll have to help me out here because you're much more knowledgeable. But if I'm not mistaken, this is one of the first instances where you get your uh, uh, tier point five gear. I think I don't know if Lower Black Rock is that way, or um, you can get it anywhere else. But that kind of adds on to the difficulty and like how how hard this dungeon is and like i was talking about earlier how it really you know it, it you know boys it, it tests your boys to men really when it comes to your group and you really get rewarded for it later because you start getting your tier point five gear am i correct in that is this the first dungeon where you get that uh yeah well lord brs had the uh had some boe drops for that but like the the 60 raids this one had the helm I believe Strat uh, Undead had the pants. Um, so like this UBRS had, had the chat. So very yeah. good weapons. From oh yeah, absolutely. And, and the drop rates were brutal. Absolutely. The drop rates were so brutal. Oh, they were just, you had to do it over and over. I don't even know if they were 5% chance for some of the, uh, uh, the, 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 the best weapons. Um, I think this is, again, uh, a point of learning that only until I had twisted arms and got this despawned, uh, I had to go to Eric Dodds and say, hey, Eric, uh, are any of the trade skills going to be affected if we despawn um, uh, Scholomance? Because we had to convince the producers that, yeah, it wasn't going to uh, affect any of the, the, the trade skills, which, you know, you're, there's reagents that have to be introduced in the economy. So only when Eric actually opened up Scholomance a couple months after WoW had shipped, he looked at some of the drop rates. Wow, 
uh, looking for the uh, reagents that were going into the economy. And he was shocked by some of his decisions going, oh, my God, these are so low. We, I think there were some uh, weapons that there was a 2%, I mean, very low rate of dropping that he just you know, added a zero after it just to go, oh, my gosh, well, the, the, these are just too brutal. So, again, once you put, you know, you, you lock a file down, it gets tested. Six months later, people are playing it. You forget about all your design decisions. So, yeah, uh, and when it gets revisited, sometimes forcing people to look at old stuff, you learn about, oh, wow, we really didn't get it right the first time. So it was a good, good idea to actually uh, uh, get the trade skill guys to look at it again. All right. Ale, do you think there's anything else that we absolutely have to touch on if we're talking Scholar Mance or we're, we're getting there? Absolutely. I think we can't leave here until we discuss the kind of design of the rooms of Darkmaster Gandling. Uh, that was a really interesting part because you have kind of a bottom level with uh, three rooms and a top level that mirrors it. And I was just wondering what what kind of went through your mind when you're designing designing those as well? Because that's that's very unique as well, because you have kind of that central room with the staircase. Up right. top, there's three rooms. Down below, those three rooms kind of mirror it in in dimensions. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, it was the geometry of the dungeon that designed that fight. The, the game designers... Oh, uh, jeez. Um, that were scripting the monsters. They designed the boss fights. They're looking at the geometry and there, there's really no giant chamber in this, in this dungeon. And they weren't about to ask the producers, Hey, can we ask for a giant chamber that, you know, hasn't been planned for? There's no art for it. They just worked with what they had. So they saw all these rooms that were kind of like, you know, they weren't exactly mirrored because I don't like mirroring my rooms uh, and copy and pasting uh, content. But there are a bunch of small rooms that really weren't epic enough for a World of Warcraft uh, boss. So this is, again, you know, uh, invention is born under just circumstance. They, they looked at the, the the array of rooms ra- around the, the the final boss and said hey let's try this where we have to go to all the sub bosses here uh, first and uh, go after him so that's that's why it was it was it was built and then retrofitted to accommodate the uh, geometry of the dungeon all right Ed- now, just before, uh, we might wrap up there um, very soon, but Deacon, think of one last one if you've got it. But I just want to ask this one that's just come up, John, from um, Zick in the Discord, who just says, and it's something I've been intrigued by as well, were there any plans ever to do more dungeons in vanilla that resembled Scholomance? Um, Not as plans, no. Um I had uh, built a bunch of micro dungeons around Karazhan, but uh, no, we, at the tail end of, uh, as we started finishing up uh, WoW, we realized we had a lot more content than we needed, especially after uh, we increased the leveling 
speed so that people were hitting 60 a lot faster than anybody had ever imagined. Um, Then we realized, oh, we don't need all these dungeons. And if we do a whole bunch more dungeons, they're too low level for anyone level 60. So that's, uh, yeah, we, 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 we really didn't have a plan. Fair enough. And, and and Ale's pointing out to me, obviously, you guys did Naxxramas. I realize there is somewhat of a connection there. But I, I feel from what I've seen, and people might disagree with me here, but I feel like from what I've seen in videos about Scholomance and from my run-throughs in Nax and Wrath, I feel like there's a little bit of a flavor difference there. Like they're still, you know, steeped in creepy skulls and bones and what oh, have yeah. you. But yeah, I feel like there's a little bit of design difference there. But anyway, um, Deacon, what have you got? Last one. If you had to go back and add one more element or room or theme to Skullamance to add to the theme of it, um, what would what would you do? Like maybe like a water wheel with blood and the doodad tag would have been, you know, dark AF and then Metzen would have changed it later or something. What would, yeah. what would you have had? I think I, I, I did some of it in the uh, Karazhan Crips. Uh, that were never made it into the game where there were a lot bigger rooms. Uh, I did a, a really interesting uh, hallway where there were just... Oh, boy, it's hard to describe. How did I... I don't even know how I came up with this idea. They, imagine, like, very long fireplaces uh, along, like, maybe knee-high... Uh, that were just along the edge with bones coming out of it. It was just kind of this really creepy idea of there's something that's below eye level that's kind of another room. Um, but f- I would have liked to played. Uh, uh, I would have liked to have played around with water more. And I did this again with the Carazon Crips. Uh, it was very unfinished. It was it was very stark. Actually, the Crips and Carazon are actually ugly looking. Um, but I think there was just more, uh, I could have turned it up to, to 11, you know, I was still doing just, <laughs> I was doing micro dungeons. Really. I, I, I was doing more of what we had seen before in, uh, uh Duskwood. So I kind of would have liked to have, uh, realized that there were bosses in this <laughs> dungeon. So, you know, cause sometimes if you do a micro dungeon and you make it too epic looking, it kind of feels stupid to just put a non boss at the end of it, you know, that like players will actually be disappointed in this awesome room if you're just, you know, knocking the head of just some troll or some average, you know, uh, uh, creature just standing there doing nothing, you know, without a story behind them. So, uh, yeah, I wish I would have known it was going to be into instance. I would have done a lot of things different, probably. All right, guys. Well, we might wrap it up there for everything Scholomance. John, you've been amazing. I'll say goodbye to the guests first, the the, the, the callers. Ale, thanks so much again, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I, I really want to give a special thanks to John. Um, it's actually, you know, your original interview uh, with Josh is the reason that I've become a huge part of this community. Uh, I was searching for information on your book. I found the show through that and through the show, I was able to reconnect with friends I'd made in classic 15 years ago. And it's just kind of continued to ramp since then. So thank you. Thank you so much for doing that thank interview. You. And thank you. And you mentioned you've read, you mentioned you read my book uh, uh, several times. Is, is that right? 
That that's correct. I bought the the full edition with uh, all the special uh, gloss and <laughs> all things the bells like that. And whistles. Yeah. yeah, I'm very happy with it. I'm I'm a developer wow. as well, so I, I like kind of seeing inside the the curtain of Blizzard, kind of and how <laughs> how you guys did things. Oh, good, good. Thank you. Very thank you. good. And Deacon, thanks so much again, mate, for being here. Oh, yeah. And I I have to give you a special thanks, too. I discovered your podcast months and months ago. I, I work in home health, and I do a lot of driving in my career. And so um, this podcast has been my companion uh, through all my different patients' homes and everything. So it's I feel like I've gotten to know you guys in a strange way because I listen to you every day, especially you, Ale. It's, <laughs> it's kind of weird being here. And, uh, John, thank you for doing these uh, interviews. It really... Um, Ale said it, it really does pull the curtain back to a game that we love so much. You know, it's like, it's cool hearing about the, the nuances of like, oh yeah, this corner had this thing and this, you're like, oh yeah, I remember that corner. And you know, it's just, it really, I mean, like the hype meter for classic wow is like 15 out of a 10 for me, but this podcast and your interviews has, has just like shot it to 50, man. I'm so ready. I can't wait. Nice. Thank you for your contribution. Thank you, Deacon. Thank you. And obviously, I'll reflect that thank you to you, John. And I'll give you a chance now, as everyone has just heard us talk about again, the WoW Diary. John, just reiterate to people where they can find that. Uh, it's it's very easy to find. Finally, it's on uh, Amazon. I, I'm working right now to get it to uh, Canadians and Australians are having a hard time ordering it. Uh, actually, no, that's not true. Uh, Josh, I think... I, I, I was gonna walk. I was gonna ask you after the show to check it out. How easy it is to order in Australia, but uh, yeah. Other than that, worldwide, if you're interested in just seeing the process, it's chock full of details. This is stuff that Blizzard doesn't normally talk about. It's a very candid, honest, open look at uh, game development, and uh, I think you'll like it. So uh, check it out. Uh, the Wow Diary on Amazon. Thanks so much again, John, and I'll be happy to help you out with that as we end this call. And we're about to go straight into our Whaling Cabins one, so we'll, we'll hear from you next week on the show, but right now in reality. So thanks, John. Thank you. Thanks. And that's the show for today, everyone. But be sure to listen in next week as we'll have more classic chat for you then. So please keep tuning in for more Countdown to Classic. But before you go, let's have a bit of fun as usual and see if I can get through all the thank yous in one breath. Here we go with a thank you to the following patrons. Eight Count, Aero PC, Anti, Bear of Pain, Binger, Brandon K, Bubba, Callum F, Chunky Dunk, CJ, Connor C, Damien A, David F, David J, Duffikus, Gecko Mayhem, Goat Rope, Halsey Spartan, Henrik B, Herbert, James S, Jamie S, John H C, Josh W, K Sir 37, Minoru, Patrick J, Randall H, Rasmus S, Rabbit, Rick S. Oh, it's always the same spot. I've got to get better. <laughs> Rick S, Ryan K, Sylvia K, Tim B, Tim S, Tom S, Twigs, and Zudamos. And of course, the very dedicated, legendary patrons of Countdown to Classic. An extra special shout out and thank you from the bottom of my heart to those who dig very deep for the show every month in Billy C, Eric S, Firespitten Kitten, Flozy B, Freaky Fritz, Galgamir, Ida B, Batlord, Carl W, Nick B, Palfurus, Sarah S, Tsunami, The Anton, Wilson Ma, Vanifak, and Velarco. Thank you so much for your phenomenal support of the show. Countdown to Classic would not be on the air without your support. That's it for today, everyone. Have a great rest of the week, and I'll see you all next time.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.